Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. Happy Hour Friday starts now live inside the Ocean Casino Studios. This is the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. We got a lot for you. Happy Hour Friday. Phillies open tomorrow. The Grapefruit League portion of the season. Sixers with a rough one last night. We'll dive into that. Back in action tonight. Against the Cavaliers, you can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. A lot of Eagles stuff as always. Flyers off tonight. They're back in action tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN. So it's a busy sports weekend for all the teams. We're busy today. Mike McGarry with the weekend preview. Mike Missinelli at 3 o'clock. Paulie Hudrick's going to join us at 325. Adam Kaplan's here for football at 4. Nick's Nuggets are back. The big three. Holy mackerel, welcome to a happy hour Friday edition of the Sports Bash where last night's Sixers game, that was rough. Like, you waited all this time to watch the Sixers play, you know, after the break. And I know Joel Embiid's not there, but you're like, all right, I haven't seen a Sixers game in a while. Let's kind of see what they look like with this new group, you know, Buddy Heald. Last night, the debut of Kyle Lowry. So you kind of wanted to see, like, hey, what's this team going to look like uh, this post, you know, all-star break group. And it looked like crap. It did not look good at all. Tyrese Maxey, 35 points. Um, but other than that, I guess the only other bright spot in the game last night was that Kyle Lowry exceeded my expectations. In fact, the, the Sixers looked disjointed when he was not on the floor. I, it was that bad last night. They, like, seemingly were never in the game. Then they got in the game. Somehow they got back in that game last night, and you were like, wow, they're really, you know, showing some heart here, getting back in the game, and then they just could not climb the mountain. And look, they're playing a Knicks team last night that's shorthanded. I know you don't have Embiid, but they're shorthanded too. No Ananobi, no Randall, and others were out for them last night, and they spanked you. It was an ugly game last night. No other way to put it than... Bad performance all around. They had some chances to get back in the game last night. Just couldn't get it done. But it's like a underlining problem here, as we know. Look, when Joel Embiid's out, it's a huge problem. This team is just not a, I don't know, is this team a playoff team? If they had to play the whole year without Joel Embiid, you know, all 82, Joel Embiid's not on this team. Are the Sixers a playoff team? Eh, I don't know. I mean, record-wise, probably not. You look at their record with and without Joel Embiid, you can make a strong argument that he might be the most important guy in the league right now. I don't know what Denver's record would be without Jokic, and I don't know what every 
great team's record would be without their guy. But the Sixers without Joel Embiid, not good. Not good at all. They are a mess without Joel Embiid. And right now, they got to figure out a way to get it in gear and figure out games without him. They are 26-8 and eight with Joel Embiid. Without him, they're 6-14. and 14. That's not a playoff team. Without Joel Embiid, the Sixers essentially aren't a playoff team. So the differences are staggering. Points per game with Joel, 121. Without him, 113. You know, one of the big areas that they really struggle is on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, you are going to about a month now where Joel has not played. And the drop-off, which you can expect, no Joel, but in the 34 games this season that Embiid has played, he averaged 35 points a game in 34 minutes. So they've got to find a way to replace 35 points a game. Okay, that's understandable that that's tough to do. They're also giving up seven extra points per game. They gave up a 111 with Embiid, 118, almost 119 without him. They were fifth in the East when Embiid last played, but right now they are creeping towards the play-in game. And, you know, you take a look at, they have the sixth toughest remaining schedule in all of basketball. And you got to wonder if this team can hold on to one of those top six spots and stay within striking distance. You got a, a brutal stretch of games tonight, Sunday, and Tuesday. Cleveland. Now, you just beat Cleveland at Cleveland last week. So I can't sit here and give you an excuse if you can't find a way to win the game tonight. You're at home. You're almost at full strength, although Kyle Lowry will not play tonight. He is out for, I guess they're calling it, what did Keith Pompey tweet earlier today? This is like, I don't want to say it's a new one, because in the world that we live in now, nothing is all that surprising that suggests that somebody's not playing for some reason. But Keith Pompey tweeted out just a little while ago that he will miss tonight's game due to return to (laughs) competition reconditioning. Have you saw that one before? Put that in the column of things that I have not seen. Kyle Lowry will miss tonight's game against the Cavs due to return to competition reconditioning. I would think that the best way to recondition yourself is to play. I know practicing helps and getting your legs under you, but he looked fine last night. In fact, the Sixers looked terrible when he wasn't on the floor. He far exceeded my expectations. So I guess, and we'll talk to Paul Hudrick about this in about an hour and a half. What is Lowry's role? When when this team is whole, if you will. Now, DeAnthony Melton is probable for tonight. So yesterday, Nick Nurse, I think this is an interesting story to discuss as well. So you have this log jam now at the second guard position because we know Maxie's obviously not coming out of the lineup, nor should he. But Maxie's the lead guard. The other guy, you have this log jam of guys who all, like, are different. None of them do the same thing. Like, there is no repetition in these guys. You've got Kyle Lowry, who's essentially a point guard, 
right? He, well, Kyle Lowry is like your 1990s point guard. He's the guy who kind of looks awkward, but he just figures out a way. He's not a great shooter, but he shoots. He's not a great scorer, but he finds ways to score. He's not a great defender, but he's just a pain in the ass. Uh, as Maxie said last night, there were times in the huddle where Lowry said, no, we're not going to run this. Let's do this. Like, he has a voice. He is, like, the guy that you always say, I don't know what it is about this guy, but he always is winning. Now, we kind of thought that he was past that. Like, that part of his prime was behind him. And maybe it is, but he certainly last night looked like he had a little gas left in the tank. That being said... So last night before the game, Nick Nurse says Buddy Heald, Kyle Lowry, DeAnthony Melton, and Kelly Oubre. Those four guys are going to fight for the starting two-guard minutes. None of them do the same thing. Like, none of them are repetitive here. So you got Lowry is kind of like he's actually a point guard that I guess they're asking to play two, or if he's going to play with Maxi. Does he turn into the point guard and then Maxi goes over to the two? And then you've got Heald, who's really a two guard. He is your guy who catches and shoots and puts the ball on the floor. He's more of a scorer. He's not a great defensive player. So you got Buddy Heald, who is more of your classic two guard, right? Then you got DeAnthony Melton, who really is more of a two than he is a one, but he's not a great shooter. He's a good defender, not a great defender, but solid. Not a great shooter. Not horrible. I wouldn't say he's Buddy Heald. Heald's a better offensive player. Melton's a better defensive player. So you have that dynamic where Melton's the better defensive player. Heald's the better offensive player. So then what do you do there? And then you got Oubre, who's just a, like, kind of combination of everybody. He is this guy who's an erratic scorer. He can go six for six from three or O of six from three. He can score 24. He can score four. He's long, but he's not a great defensive player. He can be great at times. And that's been the wild card of this whole thing. You know, last time we had Paul Hudrick on before the All-Star break, he said he could envision a world where Ubre's not even in the playoff lineup. I don't know if we're going to go that far. We'll see. Yesterday... Uh, on the show, we discussed it, and we talked to Devon Givens about that. And Devon said, ah, I don't know about that, but I don't know. What did you take from the game last night, minutes-wise, the way that the Sixers lined their guard rotation up last night? If you took anything, it was hard because Lowry got clocked in the face last night and missed some time. But in classic Lowry fashion, you know, he comes back with the Band-Aid over his forehead after he's got blood just gushing out of his face. So the North Philly debut for Kyle Lowry, uh, the North Philly kid, I should say, debut of Kyle Lowry in South Philly last night, he had the ultimate meeting between North Philly and South Philly. He got a scrap, blood all over his face, Band-Aid on his head, and still somehow came out as probably, other than Maxie, you could make a strong argument that Kyle Lowry was the best player on the floor for the Sixers last night. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know what to take from that. Oubre last night, like a microcosm of Oubre. He played 33 minutes and was 0 of 3 from 3. He scored 14 points. He did a little bit of this and a little, he had a couple steals, a couple rebounds. He turned it over five times. I mean, Oubre gave you 
the Ubre experience last night, and it's why you don't know what to do with him. And then you got to think about Cameron Payne. He only played nine minutes last night. So I think we kind of got a little bit of a view that Payne might be the guy. But in nine minutes, he scored seven points. He actually played well in the in the nine minutes that he got last night. He pushed the pace. He was a little aggressive. You know, the other guy that I thought was interesting because K.J. Martin had been starting, then he got bumped from the lineup, but still found a way to play 21 minutes, and I thought he would have been a guy who was completely out of the lineup. So what are they going to do with Martin? And then Nick Batum. All right, so somebody else said this last night, and I was watching the game, and I said, we were talking about Batoon yesterday, and we talked about he's the glue guy, he does a little bit of this, he does a little bit of that. He does a little bit of this, and he does a little bit of that with Joel Embiid, but when Embiid's not out there, he almost seems like he's P.J. Tucker. He didn't take a shot last night. Um, He is not spacing the floor nearly as much because there's nobody to worry about in the paint, so Batum kind of becomes a guy that you can – have your defender go a step more towards Batum as opposed to when Embiid's there, the guy's got to take a step more towards Embiid, so that gives Batum just the extra step to catch and shoot and get his shot off. He's having more trouble getting the shots off when Joel Embiid's not there, and that's to be somewhat expected. But my question, I guess, for Batum is, uh, are you basically a useless, unplayable player if Joel Embiid is not out there? So you got that. There was so much in this game. My head is just like spinning around of watching that horrible performance last night. But it made me start to think of a lot of different things. Like, I saw a lot of this on social media last night. And I'm not like, wow, these people are right. But at what point does Tobias Harris become a guy that you have to start wondering if you got to cut into his minutes? He offered nothing last night. And I said, like, I say this often, but again, you're watching the game last night and you're saying, this guy is a max player. He got a max contract and I'm, it's not his fault. Okay. It's not his fault. But how the flip do you give a guy a max contract who can't dribble he can't put the ball on the floor he has no touch around the rim he can't score in the paint it's unbelievable it is painful it is painful to watch him put the ball on the floor and try to finish around the rim I can't understand how someone would be like this guy's a max player and we can't lose him he can't dribble of course he could put the dribble and go up and down. But he can't put the ball on the floor. He's got no smoothness to it. He has no handle at all. It is so clunky watching him try to get to the rim. And then when he gets there, oh, my God, to try to finish for Harris is just painful, man. Harris essentially, I said this before, but, you know, two years ago I said this about Harris. He is a more expensive Robert Covington. Covington can't put the ball on the floor either, but you know what? He stopped trying. Covington essentially said, I can't put the ball on the floor, so I'm not gonna. Harris hasn't figured it out yet. Dude, stop putting the ball on the floor. You can't dribble. It's unbelievable. It's painful to watch Tobias Harris. You can't dribble, dude. I mean, if you could catch and shoot, I asked about this for him a couple of years ago. 
If he just stood in the corner, caught, shoot, if that's all, if you were Nick Nurse and Doc Rivers and Brett Brown, did he play for Brett Brown? I don't even remember. Did he play a little bit for Brett Brown? If those guys said, hey, for practice today, Tobias, you know what you're going to do? You're going to stand in the corner. We're going to throw you 500 balls. You're going to catch and shoot every one of them. And that's what you're going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next Because that's all I want to see you do. Anything else? No. You're 6'9", stretch four. That's who you are. And that's what the Sixers, I think, need to start. He's on the last year of this contract. All right? The thing's expiring, finally. You don't have to worry about hurting the guy's feelings. Tobias, you've turned into a 25-minute player. That's what you are. Because I can't – he only played 27 minutes last night, and it was painful. The 20 – now, I get it. He's coming off being sick or whatever, but he that was like three weeks ago. I mean, you're coming back, you're playing last night. He looked terrible last night. Holy mackerel. Uh, so Batum and Harris, without Embiid, I, I certainly have to wonder what Batum's role is moving forward without Embiid. What happens with Harris here uh, if the if the coaching staff finally starts to get to the point where they say, you know, because it seems that we're getting to that point in the year. Um, we're getting to that point in the year where you're starting to see teams all over the league, even the Sixers, like, do this, where there's certain guys that didn't get a lot of playing time maybe early in the year, and they're starting to get a little bit more. And the coaching staff is like, all right, we've seen enough of the other guy. We're going to go to this guy now. Like, we're making that change, and you're kind of seeing these teams start to do it. Like, K.J. Martin started a bunch of games, and he got 20 minutes last night. Um, I'm wondering if you're going to start to see the Sixers coaching staff say, you know what, we can't go 35 minutes with Tobias anymore. Now, listen, when Joel Embiid's out there, maybe it's a different situation. Tobias doesn't have to put the ball on the floor as much. He doesn't feel the need to have to be a – lead score or really a secondary score or the third score but I mean it is a problem that you can't put the ball on the floor and create and then when you do get to the freaking rim you can't holy mackerel it's so painful to watch um the other guy Paul Reed um the Sixers have a big man problem like Paul Reed is John Mayberry Jr. he's great when he comes up and pinch hits and hits a home run when you play him 8 to 12 minutes and he's the Energizer Bunny, fine. And when you have to play him 30 minutes, you can't be the Energizer Bunny for 30 minutes. You've got to, like, be able to – it's like driving a stick shift, which I can't do. But you've got to be able to know when to, like, go to first gear. And then it's time to go to second gear. And then you know what? There's a little traffic here. i got to pull it back. And Reed hasn't quite seemingly figured out, like, how to shift gears and change – um, he's offering nothing offensively. Uh, he had four fouls in the game last night. He, you can't get a rebound. You got crushed on the boards last night. You know, offensive boards, the Knicks seemed like they had 40 of them. They only had 12, but it felt like they had 40 of them. Didn't it feel like they had an offensive re- Now, when you were trying to get back in that game last night, you'd have four Sixers standing there, and one Jamoke from the Knicks comes up with the rebound. You're like, dude, what's going on here? Because um, if you could have got an off a, a defensive rebound at any point of, uh, in the game last night, it felt like you might have been able to come all the way back from twenty six down. So the big man problem, you know, obviously you can't say, "Hey, Paul Reed, you stink because you can't start play." That's not what he was here for. But he was supposed to be the backup, playing twelve minutes behind Joel Embiid, and maybe he can handle that role. But the problem is, 
You're asking them now, and he only played 22. They went really small at times last night. They they went real sw- They had a, a lineup on the floor last night, I think, at one point, where Ubre was the biggest guy they had on the floor. I mean, so um, Nurse went real small at times last night. Um, you know, Bamba, he essentially played five minutes last night, so they went with no big guy in the game. It was just a frustrating game because, like, you've been waiting so long you know, you, you had over a week to say, all right, we're going to come back. And it, it seemed like they came out last night and we're still on the all-star break. And it's frustrating. I don't know what to make of it because when Embiid's not there, I can't take, I can't take anything from it, but you would hope that this team could hang around. And when Joel hopefully gets back and we don't know when that's going to be, um, we're feeling better about it. I guess that you get to a point that you're within striking distance of either four, three, and probably not two. If you want to get to two, winning the game tonight would go a long way. So that is where we are, um, our market Atlantic city. I, I don't know if you were in Atlantic city walking up and down the wrong streets, maybe some of those, uh, legal weed spots are open, but I was never a hundred percent on board with Tobias getting on a max deal. What are you talking about, dude? Uh, he said, you was on board with Tobias. Don't bash him now. You was 100% with him getting that max deal. Mark, in no world, in no world was I on board with giving Tobias Harris a max deal. Now, I've been on Tennessee Avenue, and I've strolled up and down that street. If you're hanging out over there, good for you. But I don't know, you might have been hanging out on that street a little too long, my man. I was never on board with giving Tobias Harris that deal. Now, I certainly could say I understood that they had to make a decision. I don't like the decision, but I understand the decision. Because I understand the decision doesn't mean I was on board with it, Mark. I was never on board with them giving Tobias Harris a max deal. Uh, in no world. None. Now, he said Mark in Atlantic City. I'm just assuming Maybe he's in Atlantic City. He could be anywhere uh, in the city, but it sounds like from that text he might have been on Tennessee Avenue. There's other spots, I guess, up in the city that he could be hanging out in. But, Mark, no, I was never on board. Don't bash him now. I've been bashing him for five years since they gave him this deal. What are you talking about, dude? He hasn't been able to dribble since he got here. I didn't mind the trade when they got him when he was the fourth guy. Well, at the time, he was the third guy, and then they – uh, actually, he was the fourth. They got Butler first and then Tobias. So he was the fourth guy. At that point, I said, hey, it was worth taking a shot. But then signing him to the max deal was was preposterous. Right, come on, dude. You're out of your mind over there. Uh, 609-403-0973. It is a happy hour Friday. Maybe he started up a – maybe he started – I said he might have been um hitting some of the, the weed shops over there on Tennessee Avenue. He could have been getting a couple cocktails early on, on – uh, Happy hour Friday. Certainly possible. I, I think, Mike, historically, my experience working with you over the years has been there are a lot of people who misconstrue understanding why something is done and you saying, I like this. Because you're allowed to understand the why but not agree with that. I yeah, think I mean, I said misconstrue at the time that. they – basically traded for both of those guys, Butler and Harris, and they couldn't let them both walk, right. and that was their thinking. Now, my thinking, I wouldn't have given Tobias Harris a max deal, but that was their thinking at the time was we traded all these assets to get Butler, and he 
basically walked out the door, they couldn't let Harris walk out the door. That was their thinking, not my thinking. I mean, Harris, to me, you can't give him a max deal. You just can't do it. Like, sorry. You're a nice guy. I never had an issue with the guy. He just cannot make that kind of money. He can't do it. And they didn't. They didn't. They buckled. They, right. they didn't know what to do. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I can't vouch for uh, for Mark in Atlantic City, but I appreciate him listening and texting in. Mike, Josh, great show. Happy hour Friday. PSA for the people. Violent Shoprite liquor stores have Tonewood Fuego. That's Corey, the Commanders guy. Violent Shoprite. They have a liquor store at the the Violent Shoprite. Oh, yeah. Did you do that? Yeah, it's it's in the liquor. Literally, you walk in and you I didn't know you in. can do uh, beer and wine at the liquor store in New Jersey. Yeah, the the, uh, the Acme in Courthouse has it. The Violent Shoprite. There's hmm. another one somewhere too. Uh, Shaner and EHT says Village Pub for happy hour. My wife and I will eat big and enjoy red wine and Miller Lite. That sounds like a great Saturday, uh, Friday. Red Could wine. be a Saturday. Well, it sounds like, I was going to say, it sounds like a great hangover on a Saturday. Red <laughs> wine and Miller Lite. Miller Lite. Um, okay. Not <laughs> I bad. lost my train of thought for a second. Mike Lowry was a plus four last night. Tobias was a minus 15. That's Jeff in Ocean City. Yeah, I I, I said, I, I other than um, Maxi, Lowry was the best player on the floor last night. That's sad to say. All right, yeah. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. McGarry with the weekend preview on the other side. Paul Hudrick in about an hour to talk Sixers. Mike Missinelli at three. And before Mike is on, I got some cool news about the show, something that's going to be coming up for you guys out there. It has to do with the Phillies. So lock in at 3 o'clock today. I'll be talking to Mike Missinelli, and I'll give you some details on a pretty cool thing coming up for the Sports Bash with the Phillies. It's 97.3 ESPN. It's six. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Tonight. Are you kidding me? He rocks the rim with a right hand jam. Coverage begins at 7.30 on 97.3 ESPN. 2.32 on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We told you uh, the Sixers without Joel Embiid, uh, essentially not a playoff team. 5-14 and 14 without him. That's just not a playoff team. So, um... If he's not back, what happens to this team? You watched them last night against a shorthanded Knicks team. I'm sure Mike McGarry watched the game for the Press of Atlantic City. Pressofac.com, a little weekend preview with Mike. What do you see from that team without Joel? I mean, essentially 5-14 and 14 without him. I mean, I wonder if they played all 82 without Joel. Is that a playoff team? Yeah, I don't think so. And what I thought about last night and watching that game and this morning, thinking back on it and reading about it, is 
just how far is this group, even with Joel Embiid, how far is this group from the 2019 Sixers that had Ben Simmons, Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, and J.J. Redick out there and took the Toronto Raptors to that Game 7 and Kawhi Leonard makes a shot. Even with Embiid out there and even with the physical and mental demise of Ben Simmons over the past few seasons, how far would this current group be from that group that the Sixers had in 2019 that almost beat the team that won the championship. Maybe that, maybe that was the year. And, and at the time we thought there were going to be other chances for the Sixers and there really weren't. Well, it's interesting. You said like yesterday, Tim Legler is saying, look with Buddy Heald and this team, if they can get in bead, you know, they have a lot of depth. There's a lot of guys on this team, but you know, you, you take a look around. I don't know what to expect from Embiid when he's back, what he's going to be like when he gets back. And, and that's the biggest problem is you just can't count on him. So you're right. Maybe that was his best shot. But you would think this is the best version of him that we have seen. He's averaging 35 points in 34 minutes. So this has been the best Embiid that we've gotten. The problem ultimately is you can't count on him. Yeah, and, and the supporting cast is a problem. You know, I, I don't get... The Buddy Heald, uh, you know, uh, enthusiasm in the in the Delaware Valley for this guy. I mean, you watched the game last night. He was terrible. The Knicks basically went out to a 26-point lead and then slept walked their way through the third quarter, allowed the Sixers to get back in the game. But every time the Knicks needed a basket, they hunted out Buddy Heald, put him in a pick and roll, and scored on him. There, there's a reason why Sacramento gave up on Buddy Heald. There's a reason why the Indiana Pacers gave up on Buddy Heald. I, don't, I get the homecoming story of Kyle Lowry. Nice story, but the guy might be a borderline Hall of Famer, but he's 38 years old. And if you're going to put him and Tyrese Maxey on this court at the same time with Buddy Yield, even with Joel Embiid out there, who are you stopping on uh, on uh, uh, defensively with that unit? So I just think the Sixers, yeah, they have a lot of guys, but they have a lot of guys who aren't any good. <laughs> well, uh, that's an interesting point there, but you're right. They have a little bit of an interesting scenario coming up here because you mentioned Kyle Lowry. You could make a strong argument that other than Maxi, he was the best player on the floor for the Sixers. They were lost. That's without, the problem, right? They were lost without him last night. Right. But they've got kind of like Nurse said before the game last night that Heald, Lowry, Melton, and Ubre would all kind of be battling for that two guards, but those are four pretty good. Like so, you're saying uh, the player, but they've got a bunch like. This is the most depth they've ever had. The problem is they don't have the star so that the depth makes sense. Right. It's kind of the situation where if you tell me we have two quarterbacks, that means you got no quarterbacks, right? You tell me you got four guys who can play two guard, you got no two guard. I mean, just look at the guys you just named. I went through Buddy Yield's history. Kyle Lowry basically, hey, borderline Hall of Famer, great career. Uh, but, you know, the Miami Heat basically decided that he was done. You know, Kelly Oubre, there's a reason why he's been on five or six NBA teams, basically. They have a lot of guys, but just, boy, there's nobody out there that excites me. And even with Embiid coming back, you know, I don't think this is a team. This is a team that could be a contender in the playoffs. Maybe they can win a round or two in the playoffs. But this is not a team that I think can get out of the East when you look at what Boston and Milwaukee and Cleveland and the Knicks went healthy. Well, and, you know, one of the things, I guess, for Heald, I, defensively, there there's the problem. Uh, one of the One of the – what's that? Atrocious defensively. If, and, well, I said, yeah. okay, the four guys I just gave you – 
Lowry, you know, he's like maybe two years past his prime. He doesn't do anything great. He's just kind of what he is. Melton's a better defensive player than he is an offensive player. Heald's a better offensive player than he is a defensive player. And Ubre is just so erratic. Like, so none of them are like the definitive guy. But one of the things, you know, with Heald is he's never really played with a guy who's going to give him as clean a looks that Embiid would get him. So you're not seeing that right now, and you don't know if you will at all. Yeah. I mean, I get the theory. The theory is surround Joel Embiid with shooters. Buddy Yield is a volume shooter. He can be a good three-point shooter at times in a game. I just don't think he's a winning player, Mike. I don't think you win with a guy like Buddy Yield. I know he's talented. Okay, if Embiid comes out there and he's open, he can knock down three-pointers. But I don't think he's going to do the other things that's going to get you uh, victories in the playoffs. He's a terrible defensive player. I don't think he makes his teammates better. And uh, he's just not a winning player. And I think Sacramento and the Pacers decided that, and that's why they moved on from him. So, uh, you know, I don't really get this, you know, the talk as if Buddy Heald is the salvation here. And once Embiid comes back with Buddy Heald and Maxie, you're going to roll on with. I still see a team that is, you know, not capable of getting out of the Eastern Conference. When you look at what the other teams in the Eastern Conference have done and just how good they are. And the other problem you have is, if to have any chance at all without Embiid, and even with Embiid, you're going to have to get a more consistent effort out of Tobias Harris. I mean, he was just awful last night, yeah. and he did not play great going into the All-Star break. Here's a guy, you know, I don't like to talk about guys, uh, what they make and stuff like that. It's not his fault the Sixers gave him max contract. We all would have took it, but boy, you got to get more out of a $35, $40 million player than you got last night. No doubt. He was brutal last night, but it's just a microcosm. You said before the break, he hadn't been good. He was sick. He was in and out, but that's been the problem. The inconsistency there. Sure, some nights he scores 23 and has a great night. Then other nights he was last night, and you just can't have that, and that's one of the other problems. Like, if you have to constantly rely on him to be the third guy, uh, even the fourth guy sometimes, it's like I can't. But the problem is his salary has prevented you from getting someone else to be the more consistent third or fourth guy. Yeah, and, and here's the issue, Mike. Let's look at last night's game, right? Both teams are banged up, right? The Knicks are without uh, Randall and Ananobi. The uh, Sixers are without Embiid. But let's just say we were having a, those teams met, those 10 guys met at the park, right? And they're going to, down there, down there in Margate, where they used to have Chuck's three-on-three tournament. They met at the park on a summer day in July, and you're going to choose up sides for the 10 guys, right? You are on one side, I'm on the other side. I'm probably taking Brunson first. You might take Maxie first, but I'll take Brunson first and Maxie second. And then after that, despite the Sixers' death, I'm probably rattling off three or four Knicks. I'm taking Hart. I'm taking DiVincenzo. I'm even taking a Precious Achua. I'm taking those guys before I even go to a Sixer guy next. So that's what I mean by the Sixers got a lot of guys. But when you have a lot of guys, yeah. sometimes you don't have a lot of guys. Yeah, last, you know? <laughs> last night's game, especially after waiting a week or so, and look, we know what – without Embiid, people are out right now. I mean, it's like, all right, if Embiid's not there, what's there? To, but you were almost like, all right, let's see who you can be without Embiid, and then if he's back. Let me ask you, do you feel any better, differently about Embiid's imminent return? I, I don't. I, I, my view on injuries, and this is for all sports teams, but especially with Embiid, I'll believe Embiid is back playing when he comes back, when he's actually out there on the court. And here's just the issue with Embiid. 
I'm not so much worried about the knee getting right and stuff like that. I'm worried about how long it's going to take him to get back into shape to physically play. I don't worry about that with some guys. Like when Bryce Harper gets hurt, I I have confidence that Bryce Harper is going to be the moment he's physically cleared by a doctor. If he's physically cleared by a doctor Monday at 241, I I can believe that Bryce Harper is going to be in the batter's box at 242 ready to go, right? And, and, And be almost as good as he was before the injury. I just don't have that same level of confidence with Embiid because we've seen him struggle, come back from injuries before, and not be quite right. So to me, it's not only the recovery from the injury, it's the actual comeback. And what does he look like when he's actually healthy enough to go out there and play? It's almost a two-part thing for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's a frustrating thing that you're at this point again. Now, yesterday, Brian Windhorst said, essentially, look, the, the Sixers, they set the surgery up so that the way they did so that Embiid could return. The problem was the Sixers, as usual, did a poor job of getting that message out there. Kind of left you in limbo. We'll revisit in four weeks, yada, yada. Uh, but the, the whole thing was kind of set up, according to him anyway, was they got healed and they got the surgery when they did so that he could return. And I don't know, like the last uh, 48 hours, you keep hearing people feel more and more like Nick Nurse said, yeah, we hope to have him and hope that he plays a a few games before the end of the year. I would think, Mike, that he has to play. And here's the problem for me. If you look at the back end of their schedule, they're on the road like four, one home, three on the road, two home, three. I mean, there is no place to get him like a bunch of home games and let him play like five or six times. But I'd like to see him play like eight, nine games before he gets to the playoffs. Yeah, or, you know, I almost think, Mike, it could it could almost go the opposite way, too, right? He's been hurt in the playoffs this past couple of years. If he ever gets healthy, maybe he's just all of a sudden, you know, boom, that first playoff game, he's back and, and he's healthy and he's ready to go. And then you actually have a healthy Joel Embiid for, for a couple of weeks in the playoffs. And then you're a team that, although I don't think you're good enough to beat the Boston Celtics, I don't think you're probably good enough to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, the Cleveland and the Knicks would be a problem. Miami would be a problem for you. The Indiana Pacers would be a toss-up series for you. But you'd be a team that, hey, you know, if you were a seven seed and you came out of the play and, and all of a sudden the Milwaukee Bucks are sitting there at two and you've got a healthy Joel Embiid on the court, boy, that'll give Doc Rivers and Giannis and, and Dane Lillard pause to think, right, before before a first-round playoff match. I, I just think you make a great point there, Mike. You use words like could and they'll say we hope. It's been a couple of weeks since the surgery. Can we hear? Like, did the surgery go well? How does he look now? Is he, is he ahead of well, schedule? Practice, is he behind schedule? Right? He, he was at I practice mean, yesterday, not well, practicing. Mean, you know, well, you know, just, just tell me a little bit, like, is it going well? Is it not going well? Are we on course? Can we hear from him? How does he feel? I just feel like we're in an information vacuum. And are we just waiting for, like, all of a sudden, March 19th? Hey, Joel Embiid's playing today, basically. You know, or he's playing the next day. Uh, Mike McGarry, uh, Press of Atlantic City, PressofAC.com. It's uh, always uh, – the Sixers always something going on. You got the, the stuff going on. Phillies, by the way, uh, their spring training, Grapefruit League, starts tomorrow. Uh, Colby Alford is getting the start for the Phils tomorrow. That'll as they- bump you up. <laughs> 
There you go. There you go. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, we'll have all the games, Sixers and Flyers here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Mike, have a good weekend, man. All right, you too, Mike. We'll see you down the road. Thanks. All right, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, pressofac.com. Mike Missinelli joins me in 15 minutes. Plus, I got news on something you guys are going to want to be a part of uh, on the Sports Bash coming up today at 3 o'clock. I'll tell you that. Mike Missinelli, Paul Hudrick, all coming up next hour on the Bash. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 251 on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Uh, coming up, Mike Missinelli. I got some news on a uh, little something we're going to be doing with the fills in about nine minutes from now. Uh, I will give you uh, ESPN Eagles reporter Tim McManus listed five defensive free agents that the Eagles could target. I'll uh, read those off and give you my thoughts on those in a little bit as well. We'll also talk to Paul Hudrick as the Sixers take on the Knicks tonight. Excuse me, the Cavs tonight. A couple things with Miss and Ellie we'll get into. If Mike was still doing daily radio, how would he be handling this big Dom, Craig Carton, all of the drama around the Eagles. You'll hear that coming up in eight minutes from now. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on the Phillies running it back. Harper asking for a new deal. Uh, over under for wins, by the way, for the Phillies is 89, depending on where you're looking, 89 or 90. I feel like that's low. I feel like the Phillies at 89 and 90, they won 90 games last year. I feel like that number is a little low. Anybody on board with the fact that that number feels low? I don't know what it says, but I, I, I have like a, so I've been asking like over the last, um, I don't know, 48 hours or so. Give me a player on the Phillies that will exceed your expectations or have a better year than they had last year. Somebody who will have a better year this year than they had last year. So Bryce Harper, he missed like two months of the season last year. So they should be better just for having him longer. Trey Turner, you know, you should feel that he's comfortable now. He knows the city. He knows all the stuff. He knows to drive where he's going. He knows everybody's name. He feels better. You would hope that his comfortability is a higher level than it was last year and that that should help him out. That should make them better. You would hope, by the way, if you remember, and we'll talk to Mike about this, last year Trey Turner started the season as the leadoff hitter. Kyle Schwarber was not the leadoff man at the beginning of the year. They made him the leadoff man, I think it was June 2nd, I think was the date. And... 
the beginning of that year, you had Turner leading off, and the team was not very good. Let's say Schwarber starts. I know a lot of people are like, what? I don't want him to lead off. Kyle Schwarber is going to hit lead off, okay? I, I would imagine he's going to hit lead off and be there for the whole season now. And the Phillies win games. They're on a, they're basically a 99 win pace team when Kyle Schwarber hits leadoff. So can they get out of the gates better with Kyle Schwarber hitting leadoff there? There's a couple other things in this team that I was thinking about. How could this team be better than last year? Okay. How can they improve on the 90 wins? They got to 90 wins last year. They were, what, 22 and 30 at one point. I mean, they had really had to rip off uh, a bunch of wins, and they did that. But can they get out of the gates a little better? Can they get out of the gates a little bit cleaner than last year? Uh, Luke in Atlantic City says, Mike, even when Embiid comes back, how many games are you going to have to take off the return to action? Uh, I would say about 10. I think Embiid probably got to play about 10 games. That would be my hope and goal, is to get him out there for about 10 games. I don't think that's going to be the case. But 8 to 10, I'll go 8 to 10 would make me feel best. All right, coming up, stick around on the other side. I got some pretty cool news about the show and the Phillies, something we're going to be doing for the Phillies. That's coming up. Also, on the other side, Mike Missinelli of the Mike Missinelli Podcast. What's the biggest Eagles offseason story for him? Thoughts on the Big Dom report. And if he was doing a daily radio show, who, how would he be handling uh, all the stuff that happened this week? Craig Carton being very vague. We'll do a little Phillies with him. Get his thoughts on the Sixers and more. That's next. This is the Sports Bash. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. All right, 3 o'clock, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. A lot going on. Uh, Sixers tonight against the Cavs. You can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. Debacle last night. You wait a week and a half for a game, you get no game. You get nothing. Bupkis. Uh, Mike Missinelli from the Mike Missinelli podcast is going to join me in just a second here. But before he does, uh, opening day for the Phillies. We are going to be having an opening day watch party at Maynard's and Margate. And I'm going to be giving away a trip to go see the Phillies in Baltimore at Camden Yards against the Orioles. We'll start entering people Monday. You're going on the trip. Baltimore, Camden Yards, thanks to my friends at Philly Sports Trips. And we'll do it. Phillies watch party, Thursday, March 28th, Maynard's in Margate, one of the great spots in the area, especially opening day. So it's going to be a packed house. We're going to jam it up over there. And I'll give away a trip to see the Phillies on the road in Baltimore. Opening day for the Grapefruit League is tomorrow. Mike Missinelli podcast just had a nice round table with distinguished Phillies guests. And I listened to that at 530 this morning because I could not sleep. And uh, it did not put me back to sleep. It was very good content from Mike Missinelli and the Mike Missinelli podcast. And he joins me right now. What's going on, Mike? Mr. Gill, how come you don't have that trip to the, to the opener in, in Clearwater? I'm going to I mean, Clearwater. That would have been a really nice trip for somebody. I you know. I, you know what? I tried to talk to the Philly sports trip because I'm down in uh, Clearwater the March 19th to the 26th. I tried to do something and uh, we couldn't pair it up. But 
Camden Yards is a nice trip. I went with them to Pittsburgh last year to PNC. I had a great time, but uh, that's, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I like it. you going to spring training this year. No, I don't think I am this year. That's a bummer. The, the storylines aren't exactly there the way they have been in the past, right? We know how good they're going to be. Uh, they're running it back, basically. There's a couple spots that you look at, but there's not really any interesting storylines with the Phillies. I, you go through spring training, stay healthy, and let's get to the season. Well, I'll tell you, you're right about that, but I listened to the podcast today and some uh, different views maybe. John Clark chimes in and says, Trey Turner wants to be the leadoff man maybe. Scott Lauber says, ah, he just wants to hit in the same spot. But the leadoff thing is always a story. The Philly fans, the the, the, non, the traditionalists, if you will, they don't like Schwarber. Uh, do you also feel that Schwarber definitively will hit leadoff? Uh, yes, because Rob Thompson is not one of these guys who's going to change stuff around. I mean, he he made it a point last year to tell everybody, yeah, okay, you don't like it. The fact that he hits 200 or under, but uh, look at our record with him as the leadoff guy. Why should I change it? He, he He's not a guy that's going to change a lot of – if you looked at the playoffs last year, he went guys struggling. He wouldn't change anything. So he's just like one of those old-school guys. It doesn't matter what people say about the leadoff hole. He's going to have Schwarber there. Now, what I – tried to ask on the podcast, you know, Whit Merrifield is a perfect candidate to lead off. And it, if he's got to have a lot of playing time, he's good. He's going to be their starting left fielder. If Marsh has to play center, then what would you do? Would you, would you change it for that reason? Yeah, that's where, and I think John chimed in. He says, wait, you're going to hit him over Turner. Cause Turner has hit lead off more than any other spot in the order for him as well. Now they started last year with him. People forget he was kind of hitting leadoff and then that didn't go so well and they moved uh, Schwarber back to the leadoff. They kind of took off. I don't know what to think. Like for me, I don't have a problem with Schwarber hitting leadoff, Mike, but I feel like you just said it. They're running it back. So you almost feel like if you're going to give me the same guys, I got to shake it up a little different. I can't just run the same group and say, try again, can I? No, I, I hear that. And, and if you look at teams that lose, they, they the savvy general managers like to freshen it up it, it, it just in, in any respect. I mean, look at the Braves. Now, they had to because they lost the Phillies twice in consecutive years. But the Phillies lost also. And when you lose in that kind of fashion, you'd think you'd want to mix something, a little something up. Uh, but, you know, I've talked to Rob Thompson many times, and he's just not one of those guys that's going to be – here's the way he looks at it. If he changes habits and he changes what they're comfortable doing, and they were comfortable doing it last year, he puts more doubt in their minds. Like, he doesn't want to have those guys worry about – Okay, if you're going to switch me out of this spot in the lineup, what does that mean? You think I stink? And he doesn't like to do that. He's an old school guy who pays a lot of attention to the mindset of a professional baseball player. Uh, Mike Missinelli, uh, check out the Mike Missinelli podcast. Now, Bet Rivers, you guys got the odds. If I was to say uh, betting odds on give me one guy you think will exceed your expectations, because that's the one thing for me. Who's going to have a better year this year? And you probably need multiple guys to have better years than they had last year to get you from where you are to where you're trying to go. That's their problem. Their guys are here. They need one or two to be on the next level. And I don't, I can't think of a guy, maybe Harper because he missed some time, but who exceeds everybody's expectations? I think it's got to be JT Romuto. 
Uh, he got into a situation last year where he got really undisciplined at the plate. He's an important offensive player for them. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're working with him to change some things up. They're really working with him to change things up as far as his stance goes. He was too open and I know he was comfortable hitting that because he liked the way his hands get through when he's open that way, but it was also making him flail at stuff. Uh, and, and I think pitchers were, were exploiting that. I think he's got to be the guy to have a better offensive year. I'm not going to count. You know, the easy answer is Rojas. I, I'm not a believer yet. And, and I just saw he was so overmatched last year. I can't think it like he has an off season in a couple of weeks in spring training and he's going to be a bona fide major league hitter. I just don't see that happening. So, um, who else could there be? I mean, Marsh, I think is improving to the point where you can rely on him a little more. And maybe he's the guy you look at that maybe gets closer to being a 300 hitter. But, but other than that, I mean, you, you look at, you know, Bohm had a good year. Uh, Turner has got to be a little more consistent, obviously. Um, uh, Bryson Stock, can we expect more from him? He's solid. Uh, and, and, and Harper, I, I don't worry about guys like Harper. Right. JT Real Muto, I think, needs to be a better offensive player. There's a couple, like Castellanos was an all-star last year, and then he kind of fades off. If he's not at that same level that he was, I mean, you're getting a guy who's, eh. uh, boom is another interesting one, Mike. He like top 10 in the league with runners in scoring position. He had 97 RBI last year. Are you getting that kind of production out of him again? That's another one for me that I think is kind of, yeah. That's a good question. But I think he's learned how to hit. He's never going to be a power hitter, which I'm, you know, I don't like that. uh, The the fact that he's not going to slug 25 to 30 home runs. I think that he's, he should have the ability to do that with his length uh, and his leverage. And, uh, but he's, he's more of a, uh, let, let's get it, uh, well, with the barrel and a bat and down the line and hit line drives type of guy. So I think he's, I don't worry about him. I don't worry about Stott. I don't worry about Turner. I don't worry about Harper. Uh, where I worry is the center field spot and who they will have to play in left if Rojas doesn't make it. Now I think they'll come north with Rojas and uh, they'll give him that opportunity. Yeah. But I, what? I don't know, man. I really don't. And Castellanos, I, he's so up and down. He's not a consistent guy at this stage of his career, so I can't expect that that he's going to snap out of it and be, you know, a, a, a three twenty hitter or, or whatever it is. You know, he's he's going to go in stages. He's going to have, have hot streaks, and then he's going to be clueless. And uh, unfortunately for the Phillies, he was clueless at the end of last year. Yeah. Um, all right. All this teams come up short. You got this Harper thing just kind of looming now. Good thing, bad thing. I, like. I don't understand. Like, if the team had won a World Series in here, I can understand. But now you haven't won a World Series, and you're starting to get to the point where you're asking for more. I think it's a bad look for a guy who's uberly pop, maybe one of the most popular guys. He has exceeded the popularity that anybody thought that he could bring when he signed here, I think. And now you got this. How does it look? Um, I don't think it's a really good look. Uh, he's in danger of losing his goodwill. But he's Bryce Harper. And, and you know the way the fans react to this guy. Like if he if he hits 220 through the first couple of months of the season, people are going to be unnerved by by this uh, this contract thing. On the other hand, this contract thing to me is more of a Scott Boris thing than it is a a, a Harper thing. You know, Boris goes to bed at night and he goes, "Oh my God, my big guy is 45th in baseball in AAV. I can't have that." So he starts to stir up a little bit. <laughs> He gets Bryce on board with it. Bryce, you're the best, and look at you. You're foot. And so that, that I think that's an aged trick that lured Bryce Harper into it. 
But you know, the, the converse of that is he he he's smart enough to know he's put himself on the griddle with that. So he's got no choice but to produce. I mean, he's the one who knows the Philly fan better than anybody, right? So if, if he doesn't produce in the first couple of months, he knows what's coming. Part of this, too, was you took this deal to try to win so that you can continue to have flexibility to build around you. If you go asking for more money now, that flexibility goes out the window. So you kind of reaped what you sowed with this whole situation. You wanted to be here. You wanted the no opt-out clause. You got what you wanted, the long-term whole thing. Ah, I didn't like that when I heard it. Let me ask you this, though. If you're an agent and the owner of the team Says, my God, he's like underpaid. Yeah. Like, would, would you not pounce on that? Oh, the agent's you doing his job. These statements that the fans love, but also kicks him in the behind sometimes. Yeah, the agent's doing his job. Yeah, but he's doing his job and then making the player look bad. I get it. Boris is just doing his job. That's what he's supposed to do. But, but- Boris, Boris is beyond doing his job. Boris is an egotist who has to be, right. uh, you know, at the top of the scale. So, I can see where, where at the end of the day, now he's the type, the guy that should have, uh, recognized that the AAV was going to go up. It wasn't going to get any lower. Yeah. You know that going into it. Yeah. I mean, come on. But again, these agents and players know that they could sign a 15 year deal. If it becomes outdated four years into it, they can always ask for more money. And if they're of the level of Bryce Harper, they put the owner, uh, on a hot spot. We'll see where that goes. Um, all this said, the, the over-under, I think you said when I was listening this morning, it was 89 at Bat Rivers, whatever it is, 89-90. All of this, I got to feel they're over that it, with the full health of Harper and Turner for the full year, hopefully. And, and every, like, I, I just feel it's got to be over, over 89, right? I mean, the, 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 the National League has gotten buckus. I'm one of these guys, when I see a number, I go, hmm. <laughs> right? The 89 makes me go, hmm. Uh, the 80, I look at that 89, and this is my whole philosophy on betting. If the line looks too good, it's probably too good. <laughs> so I, I go, okay, they'll, they'll win 87, 88 games. That's the, that's the way it works. So I would go under on that because it's too easy and obvious to go over, and I'm not smarter than Vegas. Vegas, those people are the smartest people on the face of the earth. So when they post 89, they're telling me, guess what? It could go under. Yeah. Well, I, 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 your expository is correct that Vegas knows what they're doing. You're right. The number 89 just feels like the National League's down. They got a full team this year. Ah, it feels like it's got to be the over. But I don't know, man. How many times can you keep playing as, ah, we'll just beat the Braves in the playoffs? I feel like that route is going to get old at some point. Well, the Braves are trying to change that by mixing it up. They made significant changes. Uh, and they kept their base. So, uh, you know, the Braves are still the primo team. I, you know, the, the Phillies can get trapped in it, into a couple of ways. They, they can get trapped with their fourth and fifth starters, which you're taking a lot of liberty to think that, that Taiwan Walker is going to pitch a lot better or whether he's hit a wall in his career. And then Christopher Sanchez, I mean, he looks good at times, but still, they're not certain. And there's two spots in the bullpen that I worry about that you're going to have to probably keep Brogdon. Which, it, yeah, I think it's a little iffy at this point. I mean, I don't know how reliable he is at this point. Uh, and, and, you know, there's another guy I think they need in that bullpen. You look at Soto, he was inconsistent last year. So what you're really counting on is Dominguez and crossing your fingers that he could be consistent. And Alvarado, who was consistent to a point, and then they overused him at the end. So, you know, you got the, that, that, as they go into the pecking order of that bullpen, um, I wish they had, 
another guy. Well, you got, they're going to try to go Hoffman and then Kirkering. Uh, Kirkering's the guy I think they think is going to be the guy that kind of makes that jump and says, hey, he's the one. Because whether you like Kimbrough or not, he closed out a bunch of games. Somebody's got to close those games out for you. Uh, Mike Bissonelli, the Mike Bissonelli podcast. You could listen uh, to his roundtable. He had Todd Zalecki, Scott Lauber, and John Clark. They had a nice little roundtable. About an hour chat on the fills. Uh, yeah, it was cool. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, the thing about that is sometimes you can step on each other, but I thought it went like really orderly. I was kind of surprised at that, but it, yeah, I, we were really pleased the way it went. Yeah, well. it was good. I, I listened to that this morning. So the listeners out there, uh, if you get a chance, uh, check out the podcast wherever you get it. Now, if Mike Missinelli was back doing daily radio, how would you be handling this Eagles drama that has unfolded <laughs> from all I'm, I'm, over the place? I am glad you shifted into this. So let's talk about it in stages here. And of course, the latest news here, uh, oh, I forget what Craig Carton had to say with, with this, uh, he's got some thing that, um, some man's problem that's going to run. I have no idea what that's about, but let's look at Derek Gunn's report. It's, so it would splinter, with, uh, it would splinter shows. men, he said. Yeah, that's what Carton said. Yes. But D Gunn comes out with this, uh, they, they, because Dom, big Dom wasn't there. Sirianni got in the shouting matches with his players and with his coaches, and it was all out of control because Big Dom wasn't there to give him a whoopie. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? This is the kind of head coach, like, I can't trust the head coach to be a mature adult man to, like, to not coach his team. He's got to have the big guy, the bouncer guy next to him. It's embarrassing. I've never heard of such a thing in my life. When now the funny part is, Mike, you know, at what stage of the season when Dom got suspended, the team starts to go down, and the jokes were, ah, maybe Dom's calling the plays, or maybe he was running everything, and then it comes out he had to be there, or this was going on. Like I, I can't come to grips that this actually was a report that somebody said, hey, Big Dom was the guy really controlling a lot of the emotions on the sideline. If it's true. What is your level of trust for that head coach? You know, I tried to be objective about this yesterday. Like, for instance, there's a lot of people who have a lot of fame and success in it. Like Ozzy Osbourne with his wife is fine. You put him on stage without her, he's eating bats' heads. So, I mean, you have, like, some people just need to have supervision. Maybe Nick's here. I, I don't, I'm just trying to be like, okay. Well, hold on. Like, think about that. If you're a head coach in National Football League, 32 jobs, right? These are the best of the best, supposed to be in control of their whole situation. If you need a babysitter, what kind of head coach are you? Uh, well, it goes back to, I'm trying to come to terms with, this guy's won 67% of his games, he went to the Super Bowl. What role did he have in the success of this team? I, I Listen, I... I it's a hard question to answer because that's the, the ultimate retort for the people that are on the other side of this. But there's also a, a point in time where players really take you to the heights that, that, that maybe it's not necessarily the head coach that does it. Like yeah. I, I always looked at Doug Peterson like, yeah, I didn't really think he was that savvy of a, of a, of a man. And, and they go to the Super Bowl and I'm going, all right, well, what was that? Like, lightning in a bottle and the, the players were just so good and the, the coaching staff was so good that they, they they played to a point where they're on all cylinders and they and they won a Super Bowl. I, I don't know. I I don't want to discredit coaches, right? But but I can't like 
This thing and the fact that they lost six of their last seven and weren't even competitive. I mean, the team fell apart. And this guy is supposed to be the guy in charge. And now I go, I hear this, and I go, what kind of guy is this? He was like completely unable to control that meltdown. And now it's like, what, he he needed the bouncer next to him? It's crazy. I, I just uh, I can't. I just can't come to grips with it. Listen, you, you've covered this stuff a lot longer, obviously, than I have. I don't know that you've ever heard a story like this, where the the, I've the never side heard a story like that. <laughs> a head coach at least doesn't show that kind of thing. Like a head coach has to be a guy who's stoically in charge. So with all right? of this, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, and and that didn't show me last year that he was sto- stoically in charge. That's why I said, you can't come back with him after that meltdown. Like, if they lost two of their last three and they lost in the playoff, fine. But that was historic, and he didn't have any answers at all. Uh, and if it's really right, that Derek Gunn's report's right that he, he was lost without Big Dom, then I, go, I just throw up my hands. I go, what do you have? I've heard it all now. So with that. Mike Missinelli, before people knew you from the radio and now the Mike Missinelli podcast, you were a writer and a, a guy who was a journalist who, who asked the questions. So Sirianni and Roseman are going to talk on Tuesday next week. If you follow, Now, I remember about a month ago you were on and you said you would have one guy asking the questions and the other guy with the follow-up. So if you were the guy getting to ask the questions on Tuesday after all this, what's the first thing you want to know uh, to Nick and Howie? Well, I, I, it's a no-win situation because they're going to stonewall it. They're going to say the report's not accurate. That's ridiculous. Now, you got to look at, at, at the source of that. Derek Gunn's a pretty good reporter. He yep. talks to a lot of people in there. So I, he's not – that didn't come out of the air. So they, they can shut it down by saying, no, that's totally, totally ridiculous. Uh, it, it had nothing to do with Big Dom being there, uh, and the report is wrong. And blah, blah, blah. You know, They can do that, and then I don't know what you follow up with. But you got to find out. You, you got to get find a way to dig a little deeper into that. Once they stonewall you, if it takes you another reporter to ask the question in a different way, and then you keep doing it until you get legit answers. It's you're right. They're they're going to probably. I'm surprised. I was pretty shocked that they're both going to talk because some teams aren't talking at all. So I was a little surprised that they're actually going to go out there and talk after. Well, if they didn't talk though. I guess. It, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it add more logs to that fire? Oh, man, it must be hiding something. So I think it's a good thing that they're coming out and talking about it. And they're rehearsing their answers now. They yeah. know that report's out there. And Howie's going to say, no, that's, that's certainly not the case. We believe in Nick, you know, the player. He didn't have any arguments with the coaches. Uh, so whatever. Um, all right, Mike Missinelli, the Mike Missinelli podcast. You know, last night... I'm waiting all week. I want to watch the Sixers just because I want something on. There hasn't been a game on, and they give me that. And I know Embiid's out. I don't know, but do you have any hope or care if Embiid comes back, or are you just out on this season? I think it's a – I don't know. I I think it's a pipe dream to think that when he comes back, they're going to transform into a playoff-winning team. Now – you know, in the first round, they're, they're in danger of losing them for, I don't know where they're going to fall in the standings, but they're going to lose. I, I got them losing four straight. Last night was one yeah. of them. And then they got Milwaukee and they get the Knicks and uh, again. So, uh, they're going to play, not, they know, play Boston they're, on Tuesday. Yeah. They're, they're drifting down. Now, unless I'm beacon go back and be Superman, which, you know, the Atlanta series, when he had the injury and came back, he was great. But I look at the rest of the team and I go, they, they just, 
of, of all the contenders, if they lose a guy, like if Boston loses Tatum, are they still capable of winning games? Probably. If Milwaukee loses one of um, Giannis or Lillard uh, uh, and they have to play somebody, could they win that game? The Sixers can't win without him. Five and fourteen without him right now. Right. So that that means the surrounding cast isn't good enough to compensate. Uh, and and Maxie's just not good enough right now to carry them. Which is interesting, so, Mike, because it felt like that this is the most depth that they have had. They have actual real players. The problem is they're only real players in the roles if Embiid is with them. Other than that, then they're just players. They're not. Yeah, but the role players that they selected were all old and, and broken down. And they all broke down at one point. Now, if you look at them now, they look like they got some depth. Um, and Melton's coming back tonight. But I, I don't know. Collectively, they don't, these players don't really give you the vibe that they make a difference as far as winning goes. Like, how much can you count on Kyle Lowry? He played last, played well yesterday. He's 37. Like, you're talking about a, a th- three series in a playoffs where you have to play every other day. Yeah. Like, it's unrealistic to think that all these guys that are broken down, including Melton, including Covington, Batum, all these guys are going to have to go through the ringer of the playoffs and be effective. Not going to happen. So you're more no, interested. I, so you're not. more into the Flyers is what you're saying. <laughs> I, I really have to turn the page and get into the Flyers because I've been – uh, you know, I've been waiting for this Sixer thing, and uh, it's just not. You know, I just don't get the the vibe that it's going to happen. Well, and, you know, the, I believe just more. I think Maury has gotten off the hook a little bit, and, and I like him, but he's floundered. It's a tough one, man. He got put into a weird situation, and you got to get rid of stuff. When you're trying to untangle someone else's problems, then you know. But look, this off season when they got here's the problem. They got all the cash space in the world. There's no one to sign. That's the that's the issue. Yeah, you're right. There's no free agents, but they can make they can make a trade. Yeah. for a high profile player. LeBron looking at schools in the Philly area again. <laughs> Wasn't that the big thing? A couple no, years I don't ago? think it's, it's going to be LeBron, but uh, I mean that's the kind of flexibility. Yeah, but like I'm tired of believing in Maury. I, I listen. I understand he had to untangle a lot of stuff. He also brought. And, and, and promised the fans that this bench was going to be better because he brought in all these veterans. These veterans were broken down husks of what they once were. And, and, and like, I look at Kelly Oubre and I go, yeah, he looks like he can play a little bit, but he's always, he's never won anywhere. Yeah. And, and, and he's been peddled around the league. So, like, who are the guys that I can really rely on? Can we rely on Tobias Harris at this point? Never. He was, he was invisible at in that this game point last night. or any point previously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, who are you counting on, really, at this point? Can't count on no, the beat. That's a good player. Yeah. He's not Allen Iverson, where you can put four guys around him, mm. and he's going he's to carry you to wins. Uh, it's happy hour Friday. Uh, check out Mike Missinelli's podcast, the Mike Missinelli podcast. And, of course, he was kind enough to join us right here on this happy hour Friday. All right, Mike. Take care, buddy. Always good to be with you, Mikey. Take care. Mike Missinelli here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We just talked a little Sixers there. We got into Phillies, some Eagles thoughts when we get back. We're going to dig a little deeper into the Sixers with Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers as the Sixers last night kind of lay an egg. Is that a sign of things to come? We'll talk about that coming up next. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. If Julius Randle comes back and it makes it back and he looks like Julius Randle the way he's played this year, I'm going with the Knicks. The depth that they have, how hard they compete. They wear you out because they are just not going to give you space. You're going to have to kill them to put them away. And now they've got enough supplemental offense around Jalen Brunson. When you go out and you add firepower, you add a Burch, you add a Bogdanovich, and these guys have playoff experience collectively. I love the depth now around their top players. All right, there you go. Uh, Tim Legler on who he thinks is the biggest contender in the Eastern Conference. I wonder if that's after watching that game last night. Both teams... A little shorthanded, but there's a lot to take from the game, I think, anyway. Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers is here to try to help me unpack it a little bit because, uh, man, I was all ready to watch the game last night. You haven't played in a week, and I want to see and I got an egg last night. And I'm wondering if that's a sign of things to come. You've got the Cavs tonight, Bucks on Sunday, Celtics on Tuesday. They're 5-14 and 14 without Joel Embiid. And I almost watched that game last night and say, where are they going to be when Joel's not back? And is last night's game fair to ask that question, or is that just one game uh, coming out of the break, or did you see more that was troublesome? I viewed it as more one game coming out of the break. Uh, it just tends to happen. Uh, these these things are weird. And, like, to me, I-, I watched that first half and I watched that second half, and, like, the biggest difference was the Sixers were just way more into the game. Like, you could see it was effort. It was effort. They weren't prepared for that. For And that's not to make an excuse for them. They, there's no excuse to not be prepared. They weren't, though. But I say that to say, like, I didn't view it as, like, oh, wow, the, the Knicks are this dominant force that just destroyed the Sixers. Like, credit to them because they were ready. They were ready to play. They bullied the Sixers, I thought, um, especially in that first quarter. They jumped all over them. Um, and then the other factor, too, Mike, like, you know, you have Nicholas Batum who hasn't played basketball in a month. You have Kyle Lowry who hasn't played basketball in a month. Uh, you're relying on all these guys who have been kind of like in and out of the lineup. And, um, you know, Buddy Heald still has only been here for like two weeks. Like, and it, it, this isn't me making excuses. This is just the reality of, of where they are as a team. Like, if you want to look at that and be disheartened, you know, that's your that's your feeling. That's your takeaway. For me, if it's a pattern if they look like this, if they look like that again tonight, if yep. they look like that again Sunday, that's when there's concern. Um, but to me, I took it as it's one game. It was really ugly. Um, there's plenty of time for them to turn it around. And uh, if anything, I, I was really encouraged by the play of Kyle Lowry. That was the thing that like I really took out of that game. Um, I yeah, thought he was I, the I, I, other than Maxi. I thought he was the best player they had, and I don't no, know what no that says. Uh, they looked lost without him last night. No doubt. I mean, he and I think too, Mike. It speaks to it speaks to a couple of different things. One, uh, Kyle Kyle Lowry can still play a little basketball. Like he's still a pretty good player. Two, just the difference a point guard makes, right? Like Tyrese Maxey it, it has come a long way. He's having a hell of a year. Well deserved All Star. 
he is still better, in my opinion, as an off-ball player, as a guy who's – and that's why when Joel Embiid is in the lineup, he's so much better because he's not asked to carry – to kind of run the offense. You know what I mean? Like Joel Embiid has the ball at the elbow, and he's kind of running the offense. So I think to have a guy like Kyle Lowry in there, it just – it makes Maxi better. Um, and it makes all the other guys better too because it's just the ball is moving. Um, he knows what to do. He gets guys organized. He knows what Nick Nurse wants. Um, so I just think all of those things, I, I think that's a big part of it. But then, yeah, Mike, it, it's at the same time, it's troubling because he hasn't played in a month. He just showed up here. He's 37 years old, and he looked like the second best player on the floor for the Sixers. Yeah. That's not good when you have Tobias Harris in there, um, you know, when you have some of the other guys in there. I mean, Grant, you know, uh, Nick, like I said, Nick Batum hadn't played in a month. Some other guys are kind of, you know, Buddy Heald, I thought, had frankly just had probably his worst game as a Sixer so far. Um, I think that's pretty fair to say. So, I mean, it's some of it's troubling. Um, some of it, I, I think we need to see a little bit more before we kind of jump to conclusion. Right, I got a lot here. Uh, Paul Hunter, Liberty Ballers. You, you mentioned, um, Batum and you wonder, <laughs> I, and I like Batum and I know you like him a lot and, and he fits well, but does he fit well with Joel and not as well without him? I still think he fits like he's just one of those guys. Like he's just a glue guy type of player. I think last night you saw it was. To me, I mean, he committed five fouls, like, by the early third quarter. Like, yep. it was rust. He just wasn't quite himself yet. Um, and, and so, yeah, but I, but I think, listen, I, I think when you have, again, you put him and, like, Kyle Lowry on the court next to Tyrese Max, you know how much that helps a guy like Tyrese where you have two other players who are going to make smart decisions, who are going to, you know, screen for you do and do all the little things for you so that you can go kind of be a star and do your thing and score the points while they are going to find the loose balls. They're going to get the tough rebounds. They're going to make that extra pass. Um, they're going to help defensively. They're going to do all those little things. So I think that's where Batum um, will be huge once he's kind of fully acclimated back. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think for sure, like with Embiid, it makes it better because – it make because he's even he's he's asked to do even less, and that makes him look even better. If that makes sense, yeah. Plus, his ability to, to make entry passes alone um, makes him look so much better next to Joel Embiid. So, I, I would say no. I, I think he is still a with or without Joel Embiid, he is still a high level role player. And I think he just again hasn't played in a month. He's thirty five years old, dealing with a hamstring issue. He just needs to get back up to speed. Okay. Um... What about yesterday, uh, I was about to say, Doc, um, Nurse said it's going to be healed and then Lowry, Melton, Oubre. They're all going to try to battle for that. Now, that's four guys battling for one spot. And all four guys essentially do something different. Like, none of them are similar. They're all kind of different. Um, how do you kind of see that working, if at all? Uh, if you have four, do you have none? No, I, I think... So I'll put this out, and I like, and, and I like Kelly Oubre, but I, I would say he was just kind of put in there as a sign of respect because he has played so many games recently, and he's he's played pretty well recently when they've you know had been going through a lot. But I don't I don't know how much of a serious candidate he is for that role. I'm just being honest. Um, I agree with that. I, I would say I, I would say the other three guys for sure. I, I personally think it's more down to Heald versus Melton. Um, I, I think, and and also too, Mike, like. There's nothing that says that Nick Nurse has to say, this is my starting lineup and this will be my starting lineup throughout the playoffs. Teams make adjustments all the time, like good teams even, make adjustments to their starting lineups. It does happen. So it could be matchup-based. It could be, well, I need a little bit more defense. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Anthony Melton. 
I need more shooting against this team. I'm going with Buddy Yield. Like, there's nothing that says Nick Nurse can't do that. There's also nothing that says if you play a smaller team, you can't bring Nick Batum off the bench and start Yield and Milton. Um, and I would also add to that, too, like, Lowry, I, I think, I don't know that Lowry is going to start games, but I can certainly imagine scenarios where he closes games. Yeah. Because you see what he brings, that toughness, that kind of sense of, like, he's been there before. Because, like, last night against the Knicks, as I mentioned, like, they kind of bullied the Sixers. And to see Lowry step in there and just be completely unfazed, just do his thing, do what he's supposed to do, do his job, make the right reads, get tough, you know, you know, take a elbow to the face um, and still finish your contact at the rim. Like, I, I could see a lot of scenarios where – yeah, Kyle Lowry is not the starter, but he's in the closing lineup, which in a way is kind of bigger. Yeah. Uh, it depends on who you kind of ask or what coaches have the way they kind of think. Uh, Paul Hunter from Liberty Ballers, the Sixers tonight on 97.3 ESPN. I know this is going to sound sensational, but like I'm sensationalized, but do the Sixers have to, I mean, look at maybe cutting Harris's minutes back or is he just – not a hundred percent. He's just kind of, I mean, you get to the point where it's just such a roller coaster and, and you might have better options. To me, if what he gave you last night against the Knicks is all he has to give right now, he, he absolutely has to sit. He's hurting. He's just hurting the basketball team. And like for, for, all the stuff we say about Tobias, and look, uh, a lot of it's fair. Most of the criticism is fair. He, he's not the, the player. He's not that contract of that player. That's not the type of guy he is. Um, he has plenty of moments where he disappears, fades into the background, however you want to say it. That didn't happen last night. He was actively hurting the team. Um, he couldn't do anything. Like, he just he just saw it. Like, he couldn't make heads or tails of anything. He looked lost. Um, so it's not even that he disappeared. He, like, wasn't even there. Um, like Or, like, he was there and just kind of fumbling around. And, like, so to me, that's the big difference. Uh, and so – if he's not healthy, I agree. Like, I, I give Ricky Council the fourth more minutes because that guy, at least you know, he's going to play hard. He's going to go after rebounds. He's going to be physical. He's going to go after the other team. And he's going to do something athletically and make a play. It's not always going to be pretty. It's not going to be perfect. But you know you're going to get something out of him. And, like, frankly, Tobias Harris, if that's the version, if that's the best he can give the Sixers right now, he should not be playing. Um, yeah, I, you know, and look, uh, I feel like this comes up like every so often where he puts the ball on the floor. He just can't finish. I mean, you're just like, how, how are we at this point again where the ball just poked away? He dribbles off his leg. You're around the rim. You're three feet away and you clank one off the rim. And it's like, all right, the, the frustration level with that. And I know a lot of it has to do with the salary, I'm sure. If he's, if he's just getting paid like a normal dude, you're probably not as frustrated. I know the last time we talked, which was right around uh, before the All-Star break, I had asked you about how confident you were in Embiid returning, and you said pretty confident. It sounds like in the last 48 hours that that messaging is becoming, it's, nurse said, we're hopeful. How many... I don't know if it's asking you how many games do you think, but, like, do they say he could play one game and eh, it's not worth bringing him back? Like, do they want to see him play, like, a minimum amount before they bring him back, or would they just throw him back out there regardless of when he's ready? 
Uh, as far as like minute, you mean like get him ready for the postseason? Yeah, like if he I comes say, back and he can't, he can play one regular. Like, do they want to see him play one game and then, hey, the playoffs are here, you're out there? Or is it like, look, if you can't play eight to ten games, eh, maybe we should rethink bringing you back. Yeah. Right. I, I would say like a handful would be the minimum. I, I don't know. That's not me having inside information. That's just me saying as a person who watches basketball and covers basketball, like. I, you would want at least a handful of games to get him, get his wind back, get in game shape. Like, and just, and not only that, you have Buddy Heald, you have Kyle Lowry, you have these new pieces that he's never played with. So you have to figure some stuff out. So, like, that's not going to, you know, that's, it's going to be tough. Like, you're going to need to me at least a handful of games. Like, if, yeah, if it's, to me, like, if it's one game, they, I mean, they. I guess they don't really have a choice, right? Like he's got to play. If he's healthy enough to play, they got to try. Um, but I, I, I'll say, I'll say a couple things. One, I, I think it'll be more than that. I, I think it'll be. I don't know. I think it'll be a. It'll be more than one. It, it'll be. A, it'll be more than one game that he comes back and he will play. How many? I don't know. How he will look? I don't know. And if it's, you know, it, it might not be even Mike. Like five games might not be enough. Ten games might not be enough. I don't know. Um, I, I like as far as does their place. Said, it, does their place in the standings? In other words, if they're like in the play-in, are they gonna put him out there for? You know what I'm saying? Like, does that matter? Like, if they're, I mean, quite frankly, watching what I'm watching right now, they're five and fourteen without him. Should we have any expectations that all of a sudden they're a five hundred team with? I mean, essentially, you're watching a non-playoff team without him. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I, there's some extenuating circumstances there, right? Like, it, it wasn't for a lot of the games he's missed. It wasn't just him. It was a lot of other guys. A couple of those games, Maxi missed. Um, so it, 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 it was it was more than just Joel and B. It's not. It's a fair point. Like they are, they have really not played well without him. That is very fair to point out. And, and I think too, like the one thing I would give you is like a sign of for like a sign for hope or optimism is like now that they know he's going to be out a while. They know they have to play this way so they can get used to it, and that should help them going forward. Um, last night was not indicative of that, but perhaps going forward. Um, I mean, the schedule is not helpful either when you have the Knicks, the Cavs, the Bucks, the Celtics right out of the gate. That's, like, pretty torturous by the NBA to do so. But, yeah, I, I to me, you saw the Miami Heat be a playing team. I mean, almost lose to the Chicago Bulls yeah. and then go to the NBA Finals. You saw the, the Lakers play a playing game and get to the Western Conference Finals. Sixers haven't been to the Conference Finals in 2001, since 2001. So I think as long as you have a chance and he is held and you feel comfortable that he is not putting himself at like risk of long-term injury or whatever, you're going to play him and you're going to try to win because if you have him, because like, think about this, Mike, let's, let's say, let's just say that it's a play-in spot. Let's say they're the seven seed and they got to play like, I, who, I don't even know who's at the bottom right now. Like Atlanta, um, they're gonna play like Atlanta or Toronto or someone like that. Like they're gonna, they should wipe the floor with them in one game if Joel Embiid's back, right? Like that absolutely should happen. And if it doesn't, quite frankly, they don't, they don't deserve what goes ahead. But I say that just like, okay, at that point, then we're off, right? Then it's okay. Then you got to play the two seed or whatever. Then you got to play the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think with a healthy Joel Embiid, could they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in a series? I think they got a pretty good shot. So. Um, yeah, I would say even if they slip to that play in that play in tournament, I, I still think as long as Joel Embiid is feeling 
okay, like feeling good, and they don't feel like he's putting himself at at, at, at risk, then yeah, I, I think you have to play him. Uh, they're a game and a half above Orlando right now for the right. uh, play in. Uh, Orlando seven, Miami's eight, Chicago is nine, and Atlanta is ten. They are a game and a half behind the Knicks for the four. Uh, they're two and a half behind the Bucks for the three. And, uh, they're three and a half behind the Cavs for the two. They're 11 and a half behind Boston for the one. Uh, Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, the Sixers tonight against the Cavaliers. And you can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Paul. Thanks, buddy. You got it, Mike. All right. There's Paul Hudrick, everybody. Good to get, uh, his thoughts on the Sixers because there's so much happening with uh, what happened last night and they're right back at it tonight. 7.30. On 97.3 ESPN. Adam Kaplan has football at four. We got Nick's Nuggets in the four o'clock hour. Stick around. More Sports Bash on the way. It's Flyers Rain. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. It's Flyers Hockey, 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Does Fletcher Cox know whether he'll be back next year? <laughs> That's been everybody's first question all day. <laughs> And I give him the same answer. I don't know. All right. <laughs> you, you want to come back, though, right? I give everybody the same answer. I don't know. He don't know. So if Fletcher Cox isn't back next year, he said he doesn't know, who could be taking his place? Tim McManus at ESPN.com put five free agent fits for the Eagles. And oddly, you would think that someone would replace Fletcher Cox in that group, but no. He's got Eddie Jackson, the safety from the Bears, Andrew Van Ginkle, the linebacker, edge rusher from the Dolphins who played for Vic Fangio last year. So Eddie Jackson played for Vic Fangio. Van Ginkle played for Vic Fangio. Josie Jewell, the Broncos linebacker, he also played for Vic Fangio in Denver. Another one was Cameron Curl, the linebacker from the Commanders. The last one was interesting. Chase Young, the former commander, football team, and 49er free agent. Would the Eagles go in that direction and go Chase Young, 24 years old, and say, we're going to try to build a defense with Jalen Carter and Chase Young? Something to keep an eye on. We'll talk more with Adam Kaplan on the other side for today's football at four. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We've got news on the salary cap, how the new salary cap will impact the Eagles offseason and what it means for NFL teams. And which players will the Eagles be looking to cut possibly to gain some more cap relief. We got all that and more with Adam Kaplan from Football at Four here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. want to tell you about my friends over at Broadleys Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. They're your trusted source 
for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 or visit them online at broadleaves.net. When we come back, it's football at four next. Jersey 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I give my heart and soul to this franchise, as so many of us do. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Adam Kaplan's here from the Inside the Birds podcast, which you can get on all podcasting platforms or check out their YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds. It's been a wild, tumultuous week for the Eagles, but free agency is almost here. We're going to start to see how they put this team together. And by the way, on Tuesday, when Adam Kaplan is back on for football at four, Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, not Jeffrey Lurie, excuse me, and Nick Sirianni are both going to be speaking at the Combine, so we will get some updates from them. We got an update on the salary cap and how that could help some teams out, including Philadelphia. What does this mean for the NFL season? Some big names in Miami, by the way, have just been cut. Xavier Howard is one of them, and obviously a lot of ties to the Vic Fangio stuff. So let's bring in Adam Kaplan for today's Football at Four. It's been an interesting week around the Eagles there. Mr. Kaplan, how are you? Mike, I'm well, yeah. So Here's and we're going to get into salary. We don't talk much about the salary cap on your show because typically the when we talk Eagles, they don't have a problem with it. And we'll explain what what the salary cap means and the so-called salary cap casualties and so forth. Uh, but look, the bottom line is the, the this is pretty big news today. That this is not anticipated in terms of what the cap is, Mike. The cap went up over thirty million over last year. Now, if you remember. Going back to the pandemic, it was it, it, it dropped, it regressed because the clubs were not getting the money in that they normally would get uh, because there were no fans for the most part. Uh, TV money was down, everything was down. Now it's way, way, way up. And the cap, Mike, it jumped thirty point six million over last year when it was twenty two point four million. So it, it's it's great. I mean, it's it's great. Um, every team has gets this increase now. Some teams because of cap issues, they all start with the same number and they go up or down by based on how they balance their cap. So when it, we don't know the, exactly where the Eagles are at the cap. I, from what we we heard, they're in fair shape, not great shape, but that's okay. Uh, I'll explain why it, it's not a big deal in a minute. But there are teams like the Saints, who are historically the worst team in cap shape every year. They have to fiercely restructure contracts. They're one of these teams that simply won't cut players. They, they, they don't believe in salary cap casualties like most teams don't. It's kind of a fallacy by the media. The media's usually wrong on this. They just continue to restructure contracts, restructure, 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 and then once the guys are too old, they cut them, and then they take a big salary cap hit. So um, that, that's kind of what that means. But you know, in the end, this is great news for every NFL team, and particularly a team like the Eagles, who they, look they're they're having more they're getting they have more cap space than they anticipated. This means less restructures. They won't have to restructure. Not that they have many guys to restructure left. Because they've done so many in recent years, 
there are not a lot of guys they can go to right now anyway. Yeah, and, and you know, the you know, the, the Eagles, I think, entered the offseason, what, like right under $20 million of cap space. This is going to probably change the dynamics of what possibly them and a lot of teams. What does this mean for this season for NFL teams? Yeah, and now what, the, the other part of this, it means more extensions. Now, let's, let me give you a, a, a – I, I try to explain this so everyone can understand – I, I typically have a better understanding on the cap than most people, but I try to dumb it down and make it easier, just like it was done for me, so, so I could understand when I first started covering the league. You don't need to have $30 million or $40 million around the cap to do a massive amount of structures. You could actually do, as Joe Banner told me, former Eagles president, you could have $5 million in cap space to do three extensions. Why is that? You don't do a signing bonus, a very small one. The first year cap number is minimal. It's very small. Then it goes up. Now, the Eagles are king. They're the ones who do these option bonuses. What option bonuses are inside contract signing bonuses, in a way. So, for instance, let's say that the Eagles do a contract extension. Almost all of them have option bonuses, which mature or they become due in the second or third year. That gets, that gets prorated once it goes live. There's a date that it goes live. And it prorates over the, 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 the life of the contract. So that's when they have to be, like, you, the hope is, if it's a fully guaranteed option bonus, that the guy's playing well, that they don't get zapped. Like, for here's the problem. I'll give you an example of where it becomes a problem. James Bradbury has an option bonus due, okay? It's fully guaranteed, which means if the Eagles cut him, they owe it. If he's on the roster, they owe it. There's simply no way that they, they could, this guy could be on the team based on the way he played last season, Mike. He has a fully guaranteed option bonus of $9.64 million. His base salary of $12.1 million is fully guaranteed. Just under $11 million they owe him fully guaranteed. He, got, he should have got benched, but he sort of did. He got, his, his role was regressed. It was, cut, it was cut down. He was so bad, they couldn't cut him because he's a veteran. They had no one else they could start. But you saw the young kids start to play. So this is what happens when you give these option bonuses in the second year or third year, and the guy's in a regression. You're kind of stuck. And that, unfortunately, that's where we're at here with James Bradbury. So you take a look at that, uh, Adam Kaplan football at four here. You got these so-called salary cap casualties, and if they exist, um, yeah. how much is that tied to where you are? Um, like, for instance, Miami today. I mean, they told Xavier Howard they're going to release him. Emmanuel Ogba, they've released him. They're cutting guys who are actually guys who helped them out. Are those guys considered cap casualties? All right, so I said, I said to Jeff Mosher, I said, Agba's going to be cut. I said this on today's show. We were talking about him um, and playing for Vic Fangio. I said, here's the problem. With his structure, he, he had a four-year deal with a two-year structure. He, I mean, there's just simply no way he was coming back a $17.8 million cap number, a $15 million non-guaranteed base salary. He's a backup. You're not paying him that. Now, they, what they could have done if they really wanted him on the roster would say, Emmanuel, here's what we'll do. We'll pay a $4 million. We get upside to eight with incentives, but they didn't do that. They didn't even give a chance to come back. As soon as he signed that four-year deal, I'm like, he's done after two. He's not that good of a football player. Mm-hmm. He's also, by the way, he turns 31 in in November. Now, he's a guy who could be a third end. He also could stand up. He could play with his hand down. He has some value to be a backup, but he's a backup at this time of his career. These, Mike, these these situations are most likely easy. This very simple to figure out. Now, one that's fascinating. Uh, they just announced the Agba deal. Now, now, the, the, now Xavier Howard has been told they're going to release him. 
Stephen Howard had a foot injury last season. Um, he's got a base guarantee coming up. $4 million of his $15.4 million base salary becomes fully guaranteed on March 17th. So they clearly don't want to pay him that. Uh, his ca- salary cap number is in an unhealthy $26 million. Here we go. He turns 31. Again, I, boy, he's older than I thought. You can't justify it. If they really wanted him there, Mike, he would be there. I, 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 th- this comes from salary cap people. They do not believe in salary cap casualties. If you were, if, I'm just telling you, this is the way NFL people think. If you think the player is good enough, you're not going to cut him. If the player's not in regression, you're not cutting him. You cannot justify Zayvon Howard's $26 million cap, cap number and base salary of $15.4 million unless he's playing well. He's not. He was hurt last season. He regressed a little bit. Still could play. By the way, he could still be a starter. He's at like a number two corner now. But you, you, you just can't justify it. So, again, cap casualties really don't exist. It, it's a media-driven uh, phrase which has mostly been debunked by NFL people. I could tell you that because they've done this to me when, when I've mentioned it. All right. Uh, obviously, um, the Eagles have some interesting decisions coming up here. So, do you foresee them having to cut anybody? Yeah, the, now, now, here's the thing. Other than Bradbury, Mike, as I go through contracts, as I always do this time of year, there's really no one... Well, Avante Maddox, it's, it's simple. The, see, he... W- we all know he cannot come back on, on his salary. That, that, that is obvious. Okay, that's simple to figure out. The question for the Eagles is this. It's not like he's super old. He turns 28 in, in, on March 31st. Okay, so he's, 30, he's 28 in NFL years. He's not 31 or 32. He, when he plays, he plays well. But you can't justify him with his major injury history. You can't justify paying him $7 million, which is his rounded off base salary. At his nine point seven million dollars salary cap number, you can't do it because he's he's hurt too much. Now, what you can do is say, Avante, we want to keep you. You're a high character guy. You've been a good story development. We'll bring you in here for three million. We'll give you upside of five. Take it or leave it. If he says no, he's out. Simple as that. And as Joe Banner told me, former Eagles president, whenever you approach a player for a pay cut, you have to assume they're going to say no. You have to be prepared for them to say no. If you're not, you're you're not doing your job correctly. Now. What if Avante, What if they say cut him outright, which I think is real, realistic. We actually talk about that, by the way, on today's Inside the Birds uh, show with Greg Cosell. We started the intel uh, with Greg Cosell, surprisingly. We, we kind of moved it up to today. And wouldn't you know, we were talking about slot corners and also the Eagles-Nickel situation. With Maddox's injury history, Bradley Roby's up. They don't have a nickel on their roster if, right now if they cut Maddox. And despite the, the rumor out there. It's not true. Isaiah Rogers has not been reinstated yet. He might be. Yeah. He's not been. Now, if Isaiah Rogers is reinstated, which should happen, but it's not a lot, but if it, it does happen, they, they're targeting him to play in nickel. Now, he's played more outside than inside in, in, in his career, but as Cosell told us, uh, Kenny Moore, their, their nickel corner, he only plays inside. Kenny Moore would play inside in nickel and their plan was going to, probably going to be to play Rodgers on the outside, had, had, had he not been suspended and then cut, of course. So Rodgers is a guy the Eagles like. He got, could run. He could be a returner. This guy's got a lot of talent, but he's got to get reinstated first. So, again, Mike, they don't have that nickel corner right now. That, that, that is definite. Uh, so we're going to track the Maddox situation. So to answer your question, move this forward. And who are guys that we have to take a look at in terms of being, at being approached to take a pay cut? Maddox would be one of them. The only question with Bradbury is could they even justify even coming him back? They, Mike, they owe him just under $11 million, whether he's on the team or not. It's 
A, can they find someone who could be a trade partner? I'd be shocked. Right. And can they fi- figure out a way to bring him back and figure out a role for him, even as a backup? It- it's going to be hard. It's just it's hard to justify it. And, Mike, they- they're so bad in the secondary. It- they got to kind of rebuild it. Let's call it like it is. They don't have a starting safety right now. We Reed Blankenship and, and Cosell talked about it today with us. You'd really like them to be your three. Uh, we, had, we had a source tell us it would be better off as an Eagles force safety. Smart guy, not a good athlete, good tackler, but he's a step slow. Byard, uh, Greg tells us today, um, he gave us a little bit of an intel on what his tape looked like. I suggest people listen. By the way, it's on um, YouTube and every platform on, on podcast, so you can get that anytime, 24 hours a day. But the Eagles really might have to rebuild the, the back end of their defense. It's, it's a bottom five back end of the defense right now, call it like it is. Yeah, so I want to get your opinion real fast on guys who are tied to Fangio. Do you sure. do you view them as legitimate fits and targets? You know, the Van Ginkles, yes. uh, Josie yep. Jewell, I think, played for him in Denver. There's a couple others. Sure. Yeah, Howie Roseman, their GM, one of his strengths, and I've talked to their coaches about this over years, is he's really good at – Let's say a coach comes in, right, or they have the personnel meeting. Hey, you know, Howie might say, who do you like out there? He, he doesn't guarantee anything. But you know, Howie will put on his list to take a look at with his per, pro personnel staff, meets with the coaches during the free agency meetings, and they kind of go, okay, uh, you know, we agree with you or we don't agree with you. You know, where the guy is. Van Kinko's up. That would be one. Um, Deshaun Elliott's had a lot of injuries in his career. He, he, he's a young journeyman. That That's just a stopgap. He, he's a 27-year-old safety not bad, but that's not what you're looking for. Brandon Jones was really good before his AC injuries. Um, he's more of a, a more of a physical safety. Um, but yeah, I, I would say Josie Jules a guy. Now he's had some injuries in his career. He wouldn't cost you very much. Uh, we just mentioned Agba, who the Dolphins just uh, just released. But he is depth at 31 years old. You, you, you got to be careful. This is what we talked about in the show with Cosell today. You got to be careful trying to patchwork your football team. That's not how you win. You win by with good young players. The Eagles have to get much younger and faster and explosive on defense. They have a do not have a lot of explosiveness on defense on the back seven. Let's call it like it is. Yeah, they are definitely. Uh, you know, you talked about bottom five, but some of that too is you got Bradbury who just completely went from it. He was an All Pro, right? His first year here, he was a second team All Pro. Bradbury. Yeah, and he, yeah, and Mike. The funny thing was. And, and you, you know, because we talked about this many times on your show, we had teams telling us they were dying to go after him, but they couldn't because they couldn't protect. And now th- that's the thing, is if you could protect, by the way, if you could protect, um, you know, you, you could go after him. And teams did last year. The Eagles' pass rush w- w- wasn't as good, and uh, that was that. All right, uh, a lot going on with this team, obviously, and uh, the combine un- getting underway next week, and uh, Howie and uh, um, Nick Sirianni will talk on Tuesday, so I'm sure we will get a lot out here. I would imagine the first question will be, do you need Big Dom to settle you down here at the uh, combine <laughs> this week, right? Can you believe well, that? You know, you know what? I, I know, and I heard you with Miss Sinelli before I came on. I thought of our, our, our friend Derek Gunn, who uh, hosted Gunn on One with with us on the uh, our, our platform last season. That was a part of his two part report, which I found fascinating. And look, it's not a secret what Don does for them, but is he their get back coach? No, but to keep help keep his emotions in check. 
I mean, that, that has value. That's a little bit of an extra value. Not <laughs> most security directors don't do that, Mike. Let, let's let's face it. Now, does he need him to do that? Maybe so. I thought that was kind of interesting. I, I did. By the way, so on Tuesday, I'll be there. Andrew Dechek and I will be there. Um, Howie Howie talks at one thirty. Yep. Nick talks at one forty-five. I do your show at four o'clock. We'll talk about it. You know, on Inside the Birds, we're not a big rehash of press conference stuff unless there's something interesting that we think people need to know. But because it's the only time they'll be talking until the well, they only talk twice. They talk together twice. They talk now at this week and then at the owners' meetings separately. Howie does sort of an off-the-record one usually. Now, by the way, Jeffrey will talk at the owners' meetings. He always does. State of the team, and Nick has to talk there on the coaches' roundtable, which I enjoy doing. I enjoy going to. So look forward to that. All right, we are too. Uh, there should be a lot of stuff happening next week with the Eagles. We got it for you here on Football at Four. And don't forget to check out the latest Inside the Birds podcast on all podcasting platforms or on their YouTube channel. Just search Inside the Birds. Adam, have a good weekend, man. You too, thanks. All right, uh, that is Football at Four. It's brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. So really good stuff on why the salary cap going up today kind of matters because now it breaks down to a couple things. Can you cut people? Do you have more room to make some tougher decisions? The Bradbury thing doesn't sound like he thinks that's still going to happen. So earlier we were talking about Fletcher Cox. We played that bite for you uh, of him. I asked him the question, are you coming back? He said, everybody's asking me that. I don't know. If Fletcher Cox doesn't come back, I think the Eagles have to be in play for a defensive tackle. I, I think they just need to find a third guy. Does he have to be a superstar? No. You have to imagine that um, Jalen Carter will take a big jump. And then the Jordan Davis thing of this thing, that's the the one thing that's com- like perplexing. What is Jordan Davis? You're entering year three, and I still don't know what you are. Are you a run stuffer? Well, the team wasn't very good against the run second half of the season. You're not really a pass rusher. So w- what is he? Um, there are a couple of guys, uh, like DJ Reader, okay? He's gonna be a 30-year-old guy, though. Do you wanna spend money in free agency on a 30-year-old guy? He's a mammoth guy. He's, uh, you know, he's what you hope, <laughs> right? He's what you want Jordan Davis to be, right? He, he's essentially what you want Jordan Davis to be, uh, Reader. For those of you Reader from Cincinnati. Um, he would be right around Fletcher. Fletcher's going to be is 33, but probably best suited for that rotational role. I think Fletcher, if you said one year in a rotational role, you're probably not all that excited about bringing him back, but this is what's out there. Now, do you want to go up the list a little bit? Like, you know, go a little bit higher end at that position. You really just don't have anybody. Like, um, okay. Do you look at Leonard Williams? He's going to be 30. He's a good pass rusher, but at 30 years old, is he, do you take a shot, uh, on him in the inside and have him and Jalen Carter play together? And Jordan Davis is kind of like a specialty player. Have you decided that, that he's a specialty player? So I think that's something that you have to, um, to, to, to keep in mind. Um, Man, I, I, you know, um, Christian Wilkes is interesting. He played for the Dolphins last year. Uh, I think he's going to be a guy who gets a lot of money, though, but he can put it this way. If Christian Wilkes came here 
you're probably looking at the best player on the Eagles' defensive line, him and Jalen Carter together. So I don't know if they want to spend that kind of money for that position because you have Reddick and you have that whole situation. Okay, do I want to spend the money on Reddick? Do I try to trade Reddick? I don't know that that trade exists. Is Christian Wilkes, uh, Wilkins, excuse me, um, a guy who knows Fangio? I don't know what the relationship there is with Fangio. That's another thing. You know, that whole thing is a little murky. So you got to keep that in mind. I can't, and Chris Jones is, you know, the, the top of the line. I don't think you're in play there. Um, that's really the top end players that would be available. If you're looking to find someone to replace Fletcher and then replace his snap count is what I'm talking about. So where in all this, because you, you mentioned a lot of guys in free agency, then where does Milton Williams fall into all of that? Well, that, that's another part of this. Do they view Milton Williams as what he's been, or are they ready to say Milton Williams needs a bigger role? I don't know how they feel about Milton Williams. I like Milton Williams. I liked him at this time last year. But he didn't really have a huge role. I think to me, one of the things as we're having this conversation is, as I'm kind of talking about, like, one of the things for me is, what does Vic Fangio see in Jordan Davis? To me, he's a huge key. What does Vic Fangio think about Jordan Davis? Do I, does he look at Howie and say, I could do a ton with that guy? This guy I can do a ton with. Or does he say, this guy's just a rotational, you know, 30% of the snap player for me. And if that's the case, you kind of got a Busteroni on your hand. You can't say you traded in the first round to get this guy, and in his third year, you still don't know what the flippy is. And the other thing is you do have draft picks. You could always draft another guy for the D-line and use your the free agent. The whole point, though, is you drafted Carter in the first round last year, Davis, Davis in the, the first, first round. round the year before. You didn't want to have to, to to use draft capital on that spot. Plus, Milton Williams was a third-round third pick. Round pick right. So you didn't want to have to use draft capital on those guys, maybe rotational players. Hey, fifth-round, sixth-round rotational guy. But now you're starting to think about, did I get the right guy in the first round? Now, you did with Carter. I don't have a lot of reservations there. Yeah, everyone agrees Carter is, you know, as long as he stays focused, he's going to be a stud. Did you just hear a young child? I heard somebody in the hallway, yeah. Uh, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> no, you weren't hearing things. You're not seeing like, dead where, people. Man. Where did that come from? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's that to me is... That's a question that I don't think has come up yet. Do the Eagles in their mind know what Jordan Davis is? Do they have a yeah. do they have a feeling of okay, this is uh, what he or do they think there's more there? Do they feel like they didn't get enough out of him? By the way, a lot of releases going on right. Now. The Sears have released their uh starting center Mason Cole. You yep. got another release going on in San Francisco with Isaiah Oliver who's a, a veteran corner. Uh so you're starting to pay attention now that the teams are starting to make moves. Xavier Howard, he's going to be released. And, from, all, uh, and really quick, they're all happening ahead of next week's combine. Keep that in mind as well. So teams are already kind of giving you an idea yeah. of what they're moving forward with and without. All right, coming up, Nick's Nuggets, another edition. What are the things that are on his mind? Some of the big topics today. Uh, stay tuned for that. Plus, I told you earlier, starting Monday, we're going to start entering people for a chance to be a part of our Phillies watch party. Yeah, now, the watch party 
will be open to anybody. You want to watch Philly's opening day with the show, we're going to be watching it at Maynard's and Margate, opening day, March 28th. Philly's Braves will be there live doing the sports bash. They'll have the game on. But starting Monday, we're going to have slots for you to win a Eagles, excuse me, Phillies road trip to see the Phillies in Baltimore against the Orioles at Camden Yards thanks to Philly sports trip. So everybody can come out and watch the game, but only the people who enter will be able to win the road trip to Baltimore to the best probably ballpark in baseball, Camden Yards. So that all starts on Monday right here on the Sports Bash. Nick's Nuggets up next here on the Bash. It's six. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tonight. Are you kidding me? He rocks the rim with a right-hand jam. Coverage begins at 7.30 on 97.3 ESPN. 4.30 on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. Hey, don't forget to visit my friend Rocco over at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Do it this weekend. You're running out of time to get that deal on the 2024 Acura Integra. Lease for just three sixty nine a month or the 2024 MDX. If you're looking for that one, four eighty nine a month. Beginning March 2nd, the service department's open on Saturdays again. So stop in to see Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City, Tilton Road in Egg Harbor Township. The small but friendly dealer online at keyacuraofatlanticcity.com. All right, a lot going on. Let's see what today's edition of Nick's Nuggets looked like. Yesterday, he gave us a solid four-pack. We had some uh, honey mustard sauce on those nuggets. We'll see how many he's got for us today. For today's edition of Nick's Nuggets, here's Nick Earnshaw. What's going on, Mr. Mike Gill? Josh Henning, nice to talk to you both. Yeah, we're uh, uh, rocking and rolling today. It's been an interesting day over here. Oh, it's been a fun day. It's been a fun day for me as well. But I got a couple things on my mind. You know, I'm going to talk baseball as I always want to. But I got to start with the slop from last night with nugget number one. I got a three-pack for you today, Mike Gill. Uh, Tobias Harris. I, huh. Listen, maybe we should have traded him for a crumble cookie. That's my first nugget. All right. Last night, he was a minus 15, and he was struggling. This team lost 110 to 96, and I need more out of Tobias Howard Harris. Um, this year is three point percentages down from 39% to 35%. He's taken less three point shots and he's not as aggressive. So I'm, I'm just getting sick and tired of seeing Tobias Harris being on a max deal, getting paid all this money and nothing to show for it, especially in the absence of Joel Embiid. Your thoughts. Uh, I'm over Harris. Um, yes. I mean, listen, it's not his fault that they offer him the deal. That's number one. So I hate to put the money there, but you're right. They're not getting enough out of him. And now we're at the point, and we talked about this a little earlier. We're at the point now where you might have to start wondering about reducing his minutes if he's not going to gift you more, and the inconsistency is going to be there. Look, he's at the end of this contract. You don't have to worry about hurting his feelings. If you're at the point where you're like, hey, this guy's not one of our better players – 
you got to cut his minutes. Last night was unacceptable. He was unplayable last night. And one of the biggest problems I have is, fine, he took a max deal. It's not his fault. They offered him a max deal. How do you offer a guy a max deal who still can't put the ball on the floor? He can't <laughs> dribble. He can't finish around the rim. This has been a problem I've had with him forever. The other stuff, the inconsistency in the shot, fine. 39%, 35%. That is what it is. But you got to be able to put the ball on the floor and get to the rim and finish when you're at the rim. He gets to the rim, he can't finish. He dribbles off his leg. It's it's like the the problems of this team without Joel Embiid. A guy like Harris making the money that he does with Maxi and Heal and some of the other points, they shouldn't be five and fourteen without Joel Embiid. And unfortunately, they are because Harris simply not good enough. Yeah, it's totally unacceptable for one from what you're getting from Tobias Harris right now. Uh, he, you know, we've seen him lead teams before, even when he was with the Clippers. He was kind of a leader of that team before he got traded to Philadelphia. So we know he has it in him. He can take over a game. We've seen it in his career. Do Listen, it. Um, Nick, I think, and by the way, I think he's a, like, he's a solid guy. Like, he's a yeah. great dude. He's not a problem. He's a locker room guy. But they're, like, he's the guy that is just like, secondary he shouldn't like if you're counting and the problem is he got this contract it's not his fault but because he has it it is restricted what you can do so then they had to go out and get like kelly Oubre and nick batum is like a guy that they're counting on these uh lowry 37 right. like they're counting on guys that are at the end of the road because they're trying to skirt around the fact that harris has that deal yeah, and the expectations were raised for Tobias Harris when he got that deal. Everyone thought he'd be kind of this max type player when they gave it to him, and now he no, he wasn't. He wasn't when it happened, and I, it's just been frustrating to watch the inconsistency of Tobias Harris. And like you mentioned, he can't make a layup. Like it's frustrating to see him drive, miss a layup, and then see the other team go the other way. It, 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 you can't have it with, with a guy who's making that much money. No doubt. I mean, the, I, I said this last year and the year before. Unfortunately, Tobias Harris is a more expensive version of Robert Covington, a guy yes. who is a very inconsistent three-point shooter, and that's essentially what the extent of his offense is, who's a solid but not spectacular defensive player. I give Harris credit. He tries hard on defense. He's gotten a lot better. He's a streaky shooter, but like Covington, can't put the ball on the floor, can't score in the paint. He's a one-dimensional offensive player who makes way more money than Covington does. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. We're stuck with Tobias Harris in the absence of Joel Embiid. He hasn't stepped up, unfortunately. All right, moving to baseball, moving to the diamond. Nugget number two. All right, I got to talk about the Phillies closer situation right Ooh, now. Oh, I like this. Uh, Craig Kimbrell. You know, he moves on to the Baltimore Orioles. We know how frustrated everyone was uh, during the NLCS, the decisions that Rob Thompson made to bring him in, et cetera. I get it. But he was pretty good for them most of the year until he ran out of gas as the closer. All right. So now they don't really have a definitive guy in that spot. There's a couple of options. Obviously, the number one is going to be Alvarado. He was 10 of 12 in saves last year. Um, I think he's the guy they're probably going to lean on the most. He's been in those high-pressure situations, and Thompson likes to go to him, especially as a lefty as well. I think Sir Anthony could be another guy as well to see a lot of different uh, opportunities to be the closer, too. And then you have Hoffman, Strom. You also have Soto. Uh, to be an, op uh, an option in the ninth inning. So Mike Gill, 
Do we do we do we think Alvarado's going to get most of it, or do you think Thompson is going to try and push the right buttons throughout the season? You haven't named the guy that I'm going to give you. Oh, it's Kirkering. Kirkering is going to be the closer. Kirkering will be the closer for this team, oh. or he should be the option. I think with the full spring training and being here the whole time, he has the best stuff on the team. And I think they're going to give him the first crack in April in high leverage but lower leverage situations, if you know what I mean. You know, it's an April game. You can save a game in April that's a lot different than saving a game in October. They put him in key situations in October. Now, he didn't handle it well, but I think now he's been here for spring training. And in April, those games, they're not as high leverage. You know, Orion... We had confidence you in October. We're going to give you the first crack at this. And I think his stuff will play so well in April, and he will be the guy. I hear you. I think at some point he does get a bunch of the opportunities to close in the ninth. I don't think it's to start the season, though. I think as the season rolls along and they're mixing and matching, I think that's when you're going to get Kirk Irving. I think when he gets more reps, they're going to put him in seventh, eighth, ninth inning t- uh, situations where they're high leverage and give him those opportunities and that experience again. Then maybe I think towards the end of the season, if they start trusting him, that's when you'll see Kirk. You mentioned. I think they're going to get. I think it's going to be a rotating circus uh, with Rob, with how Rob Thompson feels in the moment at that point in the game. It might be. Listen, I, I think he's got the best stuff, and I think the Phillies know it. He's twenty two years old, so. They might say, look, this is our guy. Let's go with him. I mean, because I don't think they want Alvarado to be the closer. They want to use Alvarado when they have to, not wait for the ninth. They want to use him in the seventh if that's the big situation, in the eighth if that's the big situation. So they don't want to use him to have to use him to close games. I don't think they trust Dominguez enough. Hoffman... We don't know. Relief pitchers are so fickle. One year they're great. The next year they're terrible. He was awesome last year. You don't know what you're going to get. I think they like Hoffman, though, in more of that maybe set-up type of role this year. But Kirkering, to me, his stuff. Look, he appeared in three games last year in the regular season. He had six strikeouts in three games. So, obviously, his stuff played very well in the regular season. And I think if you let him take that role through from the regular season, from spring training all the way through, that he knows by the time he gets to the playoffs this time around, he will not be so wide-eyed. And, look, I don't think it was a fact that the moment was too big for him. I think he just, you know... They, I think he relied on that 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 um, sweeper way too much. Like yeah. that was his pitch, and they just kept going to it, going to it, going to it, and it wasn't working for him at that moment. But in the regular season, I mean, the three, I mean, he was unhittable. If he could get a full season of getting that confidence, I think that's your guy. I like it. I Soto for me is going to be interesting because before they got him, they made the trade, and when he was in Detroit, he was an all star. He had like forty eight saves over a couple season so I, I think Soto is going to be an interesting game to watch too because he kind of had a down year last year with the Phillies I'm curious to see his role all right nugget number three the Zach Wheeler extension so this has been talked about uh, Zach Wheeler's talked about it in press conferences about extending uh, his stay with the Phillies uh, after this year because this is the final year of his contract now he's going to be 34 years of age in May he's making 23.6 million dollars this year I am curious Mike Gill 
Do you believe he's going to get a long-term extension like Aaron Nola did, or do you think it's a two- to three-year uh, extension heading into next season. Yeah, I'm more on that page. I, I think he's going to get like a two to three year deal, but like much higher AAV. So you'll see him yeah. kind of get that, you know, big time money for less years. I don't think the Phillies want to go to that long. I mean, he's a little old. I think uh, Wheeler's like 34 years old. Yeah, so, he's going to be 34 in May. Right. So to go longer term for him is a little bit more of a risk. So I think he and them understand that. I think he wants to be in Philadelphia. And I think the Phillies are willing to say, Hey, we'll give you, you know, thirty-five million a year, but for three years, as opposed to less money and longer years, like they did some of these other deals there. So that's the way I think that deal will end up going, and that'll be interesting to see what that means for Bryce Harper. Because if Wheeler gets that deal, and then the next thing on the agenda could be Scott Boris saying, "Well, what about my guy? We've been asking, and you keep pushing us aside." And they would say, "Yeah, because you got seven years left on your deal." But that one's going to be interesting. I know we talked about that one yesterday, but the Wheeler one—if he gets his extension—I think you're going to see Boris come calling again. Yeah, I think it impacts Bryce Harper no matter what they do with Zach Wheeler. And with Zach Wheeler, I think two to three years makes sense because that'll be age 35, 36, 37. And, you know, could the wheel start falling off? And we've seen the Phillies give long-term contracts to star players in their 30s before, and it hasn't panned out. So I'm interested to see what happens with the Zach Wheeler deal because that's going to affect a lot of variables with the Phillies going forward. And that is my final nugget today. All right, Nick Earnshaw, don't forget, uh, you can hear him uh, tomorrow in the locker room and Sunday. You're doing double duty this I'm week, right? I'm doing double duty, and tomorrow we, we're doing the generational music challenge with Billy. I'm going to win this week. I lost last week, so that's going to be pretty fun, too. Yeah, that was a fun listen last week, a little generational music challenge. Tune in for that. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, 10 to noon in the locker room, Nick Earnshaw, and that was another edition of Nick's Nuggets. He's back on Monday with another fresh pack of nuggets here on the sports best thanks nick all right mike josh you guys have a good one i'll see you monday all right that's nick earnshaw our weekend producer uh and that's nick's nuggets here on the sports patch good stuff there uh i'll tell you what the question that he asked regarding um the closer i'm i'm i know i'm out on my own on that one I, i know that like and by the way don't forget to check out nick's podcast called the shift where they talk a lot of Phillies and Major League Baseball. So if you're a baseball fan, Nick's podcast, The Shift's a really good one. Now, to get back into the club, I like Kirkery. You guys know this. And I think his stuff is just way better than everybody else's. I mean, his stuff plays. And it's, look, I think last year he was excellent in the regular season. And I thought they used him in some roles that, I don't want to say he was in over his head. Um... He just did not have his best stuff in those moments. I don't think it was too big for him. I just think, don't think he had his best stuff in some of those moments. But we'll see. I think if you give him a full spring training and say, you're the guy out of, out of the gates, he doesn't have to worry about, am I the guy? No, you are the guy. And that's how I think I would play it if I'm Rob Thompson. More Sports Bash coming up, 97.3 ESPN. It's for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. 
Mike Gill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 10 to the top of the hour. Thank to Nikki Earnshaw for Nick's Nuggets there. He'll be back on Monday with another edition. Five from Danny Rye on Tuesday and Wednesday. Nick's back Thursday and Friday. Ryan Rothstein will join me at 5 o'clock for Happy Hour Friday. We got a lot of topics to dive into on Friday's show. Hey, how would you like to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards in Baltimore this season starting Monday? You can enter just by listening to the Sports Bash. We'll enter people at 55 after each hour for our Phillies opening day watch party at Maynard's and Margate. We'll be at Maynard's for the watch party for opening day. And one lucky winner is going to walk away with a Phillies road trip to Baltimore with Philly sports trip to see the Phillies and the Orioles play at Camden Yards. That all starts on Monday. The winning right here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. We got a bunch of stuff we're going to be doing this spring with Phillies trips, Eagles stuff. Don't forget, the draft is in April for the Eagles. We'll be all over that as well. When do the Phillies play in Baltimore? When is that uh, when is that game this year? They are in Baltimore June 15th is this trip. It is uh, the ultimate trip to Baltimore is June 15th. Now, I traveled last year to Pittsburgh with the guys, and I had a blast. I mean, they do a great job. I mean, an unbelievable job. It's a great bus trip. Great people were on the bus. I had such a good time, and it's a great mix. You could go around the city and see what you want to see, but you also get, like, the tailgate party and... The tickets to the game are outstanding. They got us great tickets for the Pittsburgh game, and uh, they're doing the Baltimore trip, so that's an easy trip. You can go down to Baltimore, check out the game. They do all the driving before you don't have to worry about it. So that is starting Monday, the Phillies watch party opening. We've never done an opening day watch party. Normally, you know, the Phillies play that afternoon, Phillies afternoon game. We're going to be doing a watch party now live at Maynard's and Market. I want to know from you, Mike, because you're a big fan of Baltimore. Big. Do you think this trip to Baltimore will outdo the Pittsburgh trip that you went on? I don't know. PNC Park is really good. I'm a big fan of PNC. You know, I haven't been to Camden Yards in a long time. It's probably 10 years since I've been to a game at Camden Yards. So you're saying you're overdue. Well, since, you know, as much as I, and I haven't checked to see uh, that date yet. What is it, June 15th? I'm going to, uh, that's going to be tough. Because I'm going to London to see the Phillies play the Mets, and that's the week before. Phillies are in Baltimore from June 14th to the 16th. Yeah, go. They're in Baltimore. I mean, they're in London the weekend. They come home and they go to Fenway, and then they go to Baltimore for the weekend. That's correct. So it is a rough, like you know, there, there, they are three trips that I would love to do, and I'm I can only really pick one. Uh, so I'm going to London. So you chose the one with the most jet lag. <laughs> yes, and the most expensive one. But one that might never happen again. Where in the Phillies That's ever true. going to London? So we actually booked a hotel last night, did the flight, booked the flight last week. Um, Philly sports trips are sold out, so I couldn't even go through them. They, so, they sold that thing out like immediately. Like wow. as soon as they announced it, they sold that thing out pretty much. So that, 
trip to London is that weekend, the 8th and the 9th, and then they're off Monday and Tuesday to kind of get their sea legs back under them, if you will. And then they play in Boston Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday. They play in Thursday. Boston Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right. Then they travel to Baltimore for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. So those are three trips. When the schedule came out, I said to my girlfriend, I said, well, I want to go to London, but I want to go to Fenway, and I love going to Baltimore. So I can only pick one. So I likely will not be on that Baltimore trip unless they – I could change my mind. I mean, I, I, I could do it. I will be home. It's like they said on Parks and Recreation. If you have the chance to go to London, why don't you? Of course. If you have the chance to go to Camden Yards, why don't you? They've also got trips to Chicago, Wrigley Field, Pittsburgh's PNC Park, and they've also got a trip up right now for Fenway Park, but also Brazil. You can put a deposit down on the Brazil trip. This is Brazil. For the Eagles. So that starts on Monday. And by the way, the watch party... Uh, that's open to everybody. So if you want to watch Philly's opening day, the show, we're going to be live at Maynard's and Margate. So come on out. But you can enter to win that trip to Baltimore starting Monday right here on the Sports Bash. City. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. Final hour of the show, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. We told you we're going to be live at Maynard's and Margate for the Phillies opening day watch party. Get your chance to enter in on Monday's show to win a trip to see the Phillies and the Orioles at Camden Yards. Check that out. Of course, starts Monday here on the Sports Bash. Sixers tonight against the Cavaliers. Sixers last night against the Knicks. That was a mess. 5 and 14 without Joel and Bead. It's a happy hour Friday. That means Ryan Rothstein is here for the 5 o'clock hour here on the Sports Bash Live. We got the big three coming up at the bottom of the hour. So we got a lot to do, a little time to do it. So let's dive into it. And I know the post Super Bowl sports scene can be a little slow sometimes, but not today. So of all the things that are currently happening, you've got Philly starting tomorrow and some Philly stuff to, to get into if you want. You got the, obviously the Sixers dumpster last night and you've got the Eagles being a dumpster all week long. What is of most interest right now? We got a lot of dumpsters to talk about. That's my takeaway. My goodness, Woo. dude. It's a mess. Yes, it, it is, is a, mess. a mess. I mean, I got to talk Sixers. That's where we got to start, right? And we have to. I mean, I watched that game last night, and look, I, I don't, I don't know what to think because I have no expectations without Embiid. But I don't know that this team can stay afloat without them. I don't, I don't think they're not going to make the playoffs. But I think this is going to be a play-in team um, if they don't get their act together. They're going to lose the next four. I, it feels that way. I mean, my goodness, you said what five and fourteen this uh, season without Embiid. When you say no expectations, though, Mike, you mean without Joe, you mean title-wise. Right? I mean, like, yeah, what's, your, I, I, what's your bar? No matter what happens, if, like, like if Joel Embiid is out, I can't view you as any – like, they're not a playoff team without Joel Embiid. If they play the whole 82-game seven without, without Joel, they're 5-14. and 14. They're, they're one of the worst teams in the league by that record. So, no, I have no expectations, and, and quite frankly – the only thing that has me keeping some attention to this team right now 
is that they're putting some breadcrumbs out there that Joel will definitively return. Not the team, but like, you know, you're starting to hear, ah, you know, Nick Nurse said the other day, I hope he plays. We want him, you know, like, that's it. Like, if they told me Joel was done for the year, I'd probably be, I'd probably be out. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, the, the king of the process said he'd be out, right? No Embiid, you're out as a fan? Come on, man. Well, I mean, the problem, no, the problem is king of the process. I've come too far. I'm not bad enough to be bad enough. I'm just stuck in the middle now. It's exactly what I don't want, which is the reason why I'd be out. Dude, I mean, listen, I'm just messing with you, but it's like, you're, I already feel out. I mean, I'm invested. Watched last night. I'm obviously going to watch the game tonight, but. You know, you were talking on yesterday's show about, like, I think it was Brian Windhorst, some of his comments saying, listen, Joel Embiid, he's still set to trying to come back, and it might be sooner than we originally like anticipated. And if and when Embiid comes back, um, you know, this team can compete to come out of the East and compete for a, a title. You're saying without Embiid, I'm, I'll say with Embiid, I, I'm not, like, confident. Like, there's still so many questions right now with this team with Joel Embiid. Like, okay, yes, he's an MVP. The roster with Embiid, of course, you feel like can compete to come out at least of the Eastern Conference. But I have too many questions, Mike. Like, I still have my doubts. I don't know about you. If you ask me, like, if Joel Embiid, like, this is the whole problem. How many games has he played? All right. If you told me he's getting eight to ten games in the in 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 this season, okay, is eight to ten games enough to get your legs under you, get your cardio back, and get yourself to a point where you can make a legitimate run? Okay, maybe. Then is eight to ten games enough time to say I now have a pretty good feel of how Buddy Heald plays and Kyle Lowry plays, and I don't know about that. So listen, anytime Joel Embiid's on the floor, you essentially have the best player on the floor, so you do have a shot. So I won't say if Embiid comes back, I'm out. I mean, if he's on the floor, I'm in. I, I, they have a shot. Sure. But yes. it's definitely different. You know, the one thing that Windhorse said is they made the trade for Heald with the thought that Embiid was going to come back and that they got the surgery when they did with the plan that Embiid would come back and then Heald would be there and that they have a guy that can shoot with Maxi and Embiid and then now Lowry – and it, but how long am I getting that amalgamation? I don't know. That's a problem for me. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's like, all right, you made all these moves. And the key, the key takeaway from what you just said, in my opinion, is, of course, it's my opinion. I hate when people say that. And I just said it in my opinion. Well, yeah, it's not Josh's. Um, but <laughs> in my opinion, um, eight to 10 games isn't enough, right? Like this team, Pre-trade deadline, pre-Joel Embiid injury, when fully healthy, I felt like they could, for the first time, we talked about it, could compete for a title. Now, you have Embiid, who, his history shows you, Mike, he ain't coming back from injury 100%. He already has cardio issues. He already has issues to not get re-injured. And on top of all of that, now he has to integrate himself and build chemistry with essentially a brand new rotation again. I get it. And the whole thing is you can't count on him. He's not there. But if the injury is now past him and he goes into the playoffs healthy, is that a different? I don't know. Like, I'm not one of these people that says, well, because you're always healthy, uh, injured, 
that that means you're always going to be injured. At some point, he, he's got to be healthy in one of these playoffs. You would have to think. You can't play 15 years and be hurt all 15 of them. <laughs> I mean, right now, he might he might pull that off. He might pull that off. I I hear you. But based off his history, I mean, I can't sit here and predict he's going to come back. He's going to have no lingering impact. And he's going to be able to just hop in, build chemistry, and lead a team for the first time past the second round. I mean, that's like, man, we might as well go play the lottery. Well, like, that's here's a- the thing. Okay, so this goes back to if he was healthy and played 8 to 10 games, that's the number I'm going to go with. You know, late in the year, he gets 8 to 10, they get him back. Is this team good enough? But here's another problem I have then. Okay, maybe they are, and he plays 8 to 10. Where are they in the standings? Because to me, that matters. Right. Are they a play-in team? Are they going to get, you know, whacked in the first round because they got stuck as the eight seed because they were a play-in team? They're the seven seed. Can they beat Cleveland in the first round? You know, now you're at the point where your first round matchup is not even a, like the last couple of years, they've been skating through the first round because they're playing inferior opponents. And then they get to the second round and they've had their problems. I think... The problem is, okay, now they play a first-round series. There's, You're not guaranteed to win that series now. No, absolutely not. I mean, the Eastern Conference is tough, dude. It's tough, right? I mean, we can go through it. Like you just mentioned, Cleveland, you lose to the Knicks last night. You obviously have Milwaukee. You obviously have Boston, right? Like there's, I mean, there's five teams that can beat you right now with the Joel Embiid healthy in a seven-game series. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, obviously Boston, I think, is better than you are. That's not yeah. questionable. I mean, can you beat them? You're going to have to play your best series that you've played, you know, and your hope is your depth is better than their top-end talent and that your top-end talent, Joel Embiid, is playing at his optimal level, Gabe Kapler. Yeah, easy, Gabe. Um, no, but I agree. I agree. But, the listen, the depth and the head coach is – Positive is like two of the bigger positives outside of Embiid, um, of course. But once again, I'll go back to I'll go back to the chemistry concerns for me. It's not just Embiid and Buddy Healed, right? Like now you have Kyle Lowry coming off the bench and Buddy Healed in the starting lineup. That's impacting multiple guys. That's impacting Batum, Ubre, uh, Paul Reed, like all these key guys that had a role and that knew their role. Now they don't know their role, and they're not going to know it until Embiid is back. Well, and then last night, I don't know what you make of this. I mean, Lowry plays. They're a dumpster fire without him on the floor. They actually needed Kyle Lowry, who'd been there for 10 minutes, to play. Um, and they and when he wasn't on the floor, they looked discombobulated. Before the game, Nurse says the two-guard minutes are going to be between Lowry, Heald, Oubre, and Melton. you got four guys who do four different things. I, I don't know how you're going to slice that pie up. So they're trying to figure that out here over the last 30 games or so. So no one's going to get into a flow if you're constantly like, okay, well, tonight we're going to go with Melton, and tomorrow we're going to go with Heald, and tonight we're going to go with Lowry, and tonight it's going to be Oubre. Like, that, that, there's a lot here. There's a ton. There's a ton. And I, I almost – listen, in Nick Nurse, I certainly trust. Um, but I disagree with that whole two-guard situation. Like, my starting five would be, with everyone healthy, of course, Maxi, Buddy Heald, Tobias, Joel Embiid, Kelly Oubre. And then I'd have Melton coming off the bench first. I'd have Kyle Lowry. I'd have Batum. 
you know, and then it's like a Paul Reed, Martin, Payne, mishmash type of a deal. But Melton's great. Melton's, Melton needs to play important big minutes for this team. That's interesting. So, like, that's the thing. Like, I look at all those guys. Heald is the best offensive player of that group, but he's probably the worst defensive player of that group. He, uh, Melton is probably the best defensive player of the group, but he probably gives you the least offensively. Lowry's probably the best all-around guy and has the intangibles. And then you got Ubre, who's just a wild card. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Melton, in, you know, for me is that certainly not nearly as offensively offensively gifted as you know Buddy Heald, but he knows his role and he plays it well. Right? Like, and and that's a big deal, especially when you have two, three guys on the floor that are all stars, right? So, like, that's that's a big contributing factor. Um, and Kyle Lowry, I don't think he should be compared to those guys. Like Kyle, Kyle Lowry needs to be coming in for Maxi, and then he needs to be playing alongside Maxi late in big games. That's how I view Lowry. Well, the way he came in last night, and he certainly calmed them down. He steadied them up a little bit. He and look, he's one of those guys. Like he, you know, he doesn't have this athletic build, so he kind of looks clunky. But he like. He's not a great shooter, but he shoots. He's not a great yeah. scorer, but he finds crafty ways to score. I mean, even his first, like, reverse layup was kind of, like, awkward to watch, but it's like he finds nice. a way to just, like, do it. So he certainly seems like Nurse trusts him and that he has a role. That looks apparent right off the bat. So who does that push out? That's another thing. Okay, I had Hunter on last week. I said, who's the odd man out of this rotation? He said Ubre. That's insanity, respectfully, to Paul because he covers the team. He's around the team. He's knowledgeable. Um, well, his point was, that, okay, insane. all right, so let me let me break it down for you and see if you still think it's insane. He's saying if you're going nine deep, okay, you're going nine deep in the playoffs or are you going deeper than that? You can go deeper than that. If you look at If you look at what Nick Nurse did with the Toronto championship team led by Kawhi, he had – he was going 10, 11 guys deep, and he had, correct me if I'm wrong, we can pull up basketball reference, five to six guys averaging double digits. Like, Nurse can go into his into his bench. He's not afraid. Okay, well, I, I'll let, let's break it down to this extent, okay? So if you have Joel back, obviously Reed's the backup there, so he's going to get his 8 to 12 minutes. So there's one guy off the bench. Then you got Maxie. He's another guy who's probably going to play 35 minutes. The backup point guard, I guess Lowry will get those minutes. So Lowry would be another guy off the bench. Then let's say Buddy Heald starts. Melton would be the next guy off the bench. Or if it's vice versa, you got Tobias Harris. And if he's playing his 33 to 35 minutes, I guess Ubre kind of goes there. And then you got Batum. Um, I mean, I guess K.J. Martin is kind of an odd man out. Uh, Cameron Payne is probably an odd man out. Well, let me ask you this. Hold on. Uh, who's, uh, your fi- who's your fifth starter? I think they're going to go Maxi Heald, Harris, Batum, and, and Embiid. Right. Um, so, and I, yeah. Yeah, so so Heald would probably be, it's either Heald or Melton. I don't think he's going to start Lowry and Maxi together. I could be wrong, and I don't think Ubre is in the mix there. So I think it's Heald or Melton based on maybe the matchups. Like if they want a more defensive start, they go with Melton. If they want to get out to lead quickly, they go with Heald. I don't know. I think Heald's 100% a starter. That's not even a question. I think the four guaranteed starters when everyone's healthy are Maxi. Healed Harris and Bede. Definitive. 
100, like that's locked in, in my opinion. So it's like, who's the fifth starter? That's why I asked. You say Batum, okay, I'm fine with that. I think Ubre should start. Like, Ubre has proven himself, especially early in the season. The guy's, a, the guy's perfect for this rotation to start. He's perfect. Uh, he see, I, I, I like he's, I like Batoon. I think he has a very good role. I think he's kind of the glue guy. He kind of pulled. I said yesterday. Uh, I know I made like an HGTV reference here. He's like the color that pulls the other two colors together and like pulls the room together. Like I feel like Batoon is very. Oh, he's a good like. He's got the entry pass. He's a good defender. Yeah. He can switch. He can shoot. He does everything just enough. I love Batum. I'm not knocking him. I think, you know, in my scenario, if you start Ubre, you still play Batum 18 to 22 minutes, right? They can both play the same amount of minutes. If you want to start Batum, fine. But Ubre needs to be involved. Yeah. So I, I guess you're in a situation where maybe Ubre and Batum are split. Or listen, here's where I'm at too. Now, I think the way Harris played last night, if this is going to continue, they got to start thinking about cutting his minutes too. You can't just keep playing him 35 minutes because he's getting paid that money. I dude, I could not agree with you more. The guy's a, I mean, he's a joke. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the guy's a joke. If it's not January on a Tuesday night in Detroit, in Detroit, you can't rely on him. You can't. Oh, listen. I, I mean, that contract, it's not his fault, but they paid him and it's holding this team back and he's not performing. And it's the same problem that they have is, you know, he can't put the ball on the floor. He can't finish. And it's starting to be a problem because now they have some other options. And by the way, Ricky Council, I think, gives them more. Uh, he, Ricky Council Jr. probably gives them more. Uh, now the problem is he also is kind of an off guard. So he's another guy in the mix. I thought campaign was playing well, but he's another guy that's, a, that's an off guard or I, uh, he might yeah, be a one. Yeah. I like campaign as well. It's, it's crazy how much depth they have right now. And I remember I tossed this idea to you earlier in the year. They'll never do it, but why not bring Tobias Harris off the bench as a six-man, you know, um, JV version of Manu Ginobili? Yeah, I mean, if if they if I thought they would do it, I might get on board with it, but I don't think it would even enter their mind. I know, but it should. I, I think it's something Nick Nurse wouldn't be scared to do. You know, if Tobias struggles, I, I guess. I mean, there were so many people complaining last night. You know, I see a lot of people complaining, like you know. I didn't think this was possible that you know, Nurse would be doing some of the same things that, that Doc is doing. And I keep saying, I'm like, you guys think this is all going to change because the coaches change. Like, this is who the NBA coaches are. They stick with their guys. They play veterans. And, like, there's, like, three elite guys in the league that maybe make a difference. Everybody else is just a, a different guy you're going to bitch and complain about. Well, what's the wait? What are people complaining about with Nick Nurse? What do you? What are they saying? Oh, I mean, who, and, who he's playing, the rotations, are giving this guy too many minutes. I, I mean, I can't believe he's doing this. I, uh, I mean, it was he all, has to right now, though. He's like in a because of the trade, because of the injuries. Here's why he's, he's in. He's in like a spring training mindset, real quick. How like how Topper has to be. He needs to be figuring out lineup situations. I'll read off some that I saw last night. I highlighted some. Can't wait to see how long Nurse stubbornly starts. Batum while Embiid is out. Frankly, should just sit him and let the hamstring heal. He can't be out there without Embiid. <laughs> That's idiotic. He can't be out there without Embiid. What are you talking about? Uh, here's another one. I cannot imagine watching the Sixers claw back with active guys then bringing Tobias and Batum back in. Nurse really has some more dock tendencies that I'm comfortable with. Yeah, hey, come on, dude. A uh, great hey, job, hey. Nick. Cooking with Tobias and Batoon on the bench. Now put him back in. Game over. 
It's so it's so easy for people to say that when they know the result, right? Like, and and these guys are coming back from injury. You don't have Joel Embiid. You have to figure. You have to tinker right now. And that's uh, part of the issue. The most disappointing about tonight is how uncoached this team looks. They have no clue on defense <laughs> and no plan on offense. I mean, these people are just stone cold idiots. I mean, they're just they're just idiots. They're morons. Well, I, I'm you know I'm just going. It goes to show that everybody always wants to blame the coach, <laughs> right? It, well, Right. I mean, Nick Nurse has made a massive difference this year. A massive difference. It's always hard to say that. Like, I understand, like, they are running different things and they, but they, they're better. They have better players. They have more talent than they've had. Mm -hmm. Like, this team is a better, more talented team. You know, and like, somebody was talking about this before. Uh, who was it? What, maybe, who are we talking to? It might have been, oh, Devon Givens was on yesterday and he was talking about how, you know, Doc Rivers, a lot of people got on him, but one of the things that he did well, like talking about the game last night, the Sixers were shorthanded. And he said one of the things Doc did really well was when the team was shorthanded, he coached them. And they won games without Joel. And they won games when they were shorthanded. That's not happening right now. They look like a dumpster. They're 5-14 and 14 without Joel. Doc was winning games when Joel was out. He was finding ways to win games, and that's not happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what? Should we bring Doc back? I mean, like, that's all well and good, but that you can also turn that into a Doc issue, right? Because one of Doc's bigger issues is when everyone's healthy and when the stars are healthy, he does not know how to incorporate guys into the rotation off the bench. Like, so it's just, I agree with you. I think the bottom line is this team, this roster is a lot better than last year's, but... Nick Nurse has done an excellent job in his preparation, in his offensive schemes, and getting more movement yeah. uh, with all five guys. That's clear as day. Yeah, listen, and guess what? He's going to have to coach this group up if he wants to stay out of that play-in. 100%. And, that, that's and you know what, dude? It's like we just rattled off so many different scenarios, Nick Nurse, uh, rotation, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the day, we all know what it comes down to. Um, Can Joel Embiid stay healthy and lead the team? Yeah, a couple more before we got to roll. Um, the A.J. Brown stuff. This thing has been so confusing to me because I didn't know if the tweet was a real tweet. Was Did he get hacked? He said he got hacked. Was it his hack? I don't know what the heck's going on there. I, I do understand that he did call into the, the Philadelphia station and tried to clear the air a little bit. So this <laughs> A.J. Brown thing, like, I don't have any problem with A.J. Brown being, like, being what? an emotional guy. Like, I, I, I don't I don't have a problem with that. I, it, <laughs> I mean, sure, I guess, dude. But, like, A.J. Brown, he's acting like he hasn't done anything, and he's Mr. Innocent. I mean, A.J. Brown right now, he seems to be uh, one of the main roots or thorns uh, in the Eagles' backside right now as one of the issues. I, I don't know. Is that fair to say or that's not fair to I say? I think that's the perception. But the problem is part of what – the part of the problem is he is playing into it. Like, why is the media doing this? Like, somebody tweeted from your account, dude. Like, I mean – and listen – I don't have a problem, like, some people's personalities are this, and some people's personalities are that. That doesn't always mean that people don't get along. Right, exactly. And and it's like, 
Listen, to be a star athlete in this city, in the city of Philadelphia, a star player for the Philadelphia Eagles, and then to decide to go out and blast the media and the fans, you just look like you're lacking accountability and that you're a jackass. I mean, like, you you can't do that, man. When things are not going well, the the fans and media members are going to criticize you. Bottom line. They are. And listen, I don't think anybody is like, A.J. Brown stinks. He's got to go. He's a problem. I don't hear that at all. I just think it's like the team stunk. We want to know what happened. Do they not get along? Then you got this carton thing where two guys don't like each other and it's splinters men and yada yada. And it's like, come on, dude. I can understand if you're on the team and you're in the locker room and you're saying, what is this guy trying to insinuate here if there's nothing to insinuate? Yes, it, yes, exactly. But we just we don't know what their what speculation is accurate and what isn't. Right. Like that carton thing, people are saying, No, that's completely inaccurate. But Fletcher Cox and other Eagles were actually <laughs> like it's like, so which one is it? Right, like Fletcher Cox did admit that Jalen Hurts had, you know, they didn't like that he was so laid back. Listen, I, I everybody showed like you know, there's 300 million people on planet Earth. People have different personalities, right? Like I can't like there are people that I'm not like I love that guy. He's a great dude, but I, I certainly don't can't say I really hate this person. I certainly know people think I'm too laid back or uh, they don't like me. I get it. Not everybody's going to like me. Not everybody. Like, you get into this job knowing some people are going to like you. Some people are not going to like yeah. you. And that's the same in the sports world. I, I Like, I don't understand how, like, this is something that A.J. Brown can be bought, but everybody's different. So I can't understand it, but that's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's it's the same thing when we were just talking about the Nick Nurse criticism all of a sudden. When things are not going well, guess what, dude? The narrative changes, the perception changes, and people are coming after you. And, you, and, and that's just – you have to understand that, and you have to be able to deal with that. That's part of the job. It is. And listen, I, I look, I, I don't think there's a problem with A.J. Brown – and Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen is a laid-back guy, and AJ's not. Can those people coexist? Of course they can. As I said, I'm a very laid-back guy. I have friends that are way over the top. We're just different. It doesn't mean we don't like each other. I think AJ is a guy. good friends. Exactly. Like So one guy could be the guy who's the life of the party, and the other guy could sit in the corner at the party. That happens. Right. So this whole thing, to me, has gotten blown out of control and I hope that it gets settled down. I hope the organization, like, I can't imagine the team's happy that A.J. Brown called into the radio station probably by himself. No, you, you can't be happy about that. And you can't be happy about really his behavior throughout the entire offseason has been ridiculous. That's and the issue. Fault. That's more of the issue is that it got to the point that he got so bent about it that he mm-hmm. called into the radio station. And he's the one that's all frustrated and bent out of shape about it. And it's by his own hand. It's by his own hand. Well, I, I will say the carton stuff didn't help. Like the guy goes on national television saying, and he didn't even mention Brown by name, but now Brown's insinuating that you're, you're bringing me into this almost. It's Carton's job. Yeah. It's Carton's job, bro. It's like, and who, if you're AJ Brown, who the heck cares about Craig Carton, right? True. Come on. All right. uh, That's our happy hour Friday this week. We'll do it again next week. um, 
Holy moly, it's been a wild week. I can't wait for it to end because I'm, I'm, I'm just like spinning with Big Dom is the reason why the Eagles are losing. There, there's like too much there. <laughs> so there's a lot of craziness. Yeah. Phillies tomorrow, Sixers tonight, Flyers this weekend. Uh, Sirianni and Roseman are going to talk on Tuesday. So we'll, uh, we'll have some fun with that. We'll have some fun with that next Friday right here on Happy Hour Friday. Thanks, man. All right, brother. At Wise Rye, Ryan Rothstein, of course, my Monday partner during the football season. We're going to talk on Fridays at 5. Coming up next, it's this edition, today's edition of The Big Three. It's the sports. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Mike Gill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, time for today's Big Three, brought to you by Union Forge Vodka, the Philadelphia Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. It's time to level up your game day ritual with the ultimate power duo. Cheer on the Flyers with the best-tasting vodka produced right here in Philly. Grab a Union Forge bottle today. Flyers in action tomorrow against the Rangers. You can listen to the game on 97.3 ESPN Sunday against the Penguins, and that game is here That'll follow the Sixers Bucks. So you'll have Sixers Bucks followed by Flyers Pens on Sunday on 97.3 ESPN. All right, let's get into today's big three. Mike, I want to start with, uh, so this story about the MLB uniforms is really getting out of control. It started earlier this week where it was like, hey, these things look ugly. Now it's getting to the point where it's almost getting borderline inappropriate. So for those who haven't seen, apparently some of the players are refusing to wear these pants because the white ones are see-through. I seen some uh, interesting visuals of players in these pants where like, you remember the guy, the like uh, the guy who was around in COVID a lot? I don't know how to explain him, but um yeah, he's showing up again. I don't know if anybody's catching my drift. Picking out what I'm putting down here, but so those are large man, yeah, and like he's popping up on some of these guys' pants in like some different, yeah, gifts, gifs, memes, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, it's pretty funny, pretty humorous. For those who don't know, so baseball is trying to make the switch from majestic to Nike. Not trying to, they did. Well, they did. Well, I say they're trying because there was a huge pushback from the MLBPA. Uh, they're trying to fight this. And while Nike has not responded to any re- media requests from the Athletic or ESPN, MLB players and coaches are doing their own action, Mike. So according to the Athletic, there are certain baseball coaches who have literally went and found the old pants and worn those instead of the Nike. Yeah, so the guy, the guy who... Um the uni watch guy, mm-hmm. he said that there were some pictures he had yesterday of the, the Padres played, and a lot of their guys were wearing last year's pants. Right. 
And like this is like a, a rec league baseball team where like yeah. the rec team gives out pants and then like they're kind of like not the pants that the kid wants so the parent goes and buys their own pair. We're like, yeah, you can go out and buy your own pair as long as they they have like the bat, the black stripe down the side. Like as long as they match everybody else's, you can go buy the ones you want. Right. That's so, what's happening here now. Yes. These players are essentially going to like baseball uh, epic sports <laughs> and buying a pair of pants. Well, like for example, um, because the, the, this is the first year of the new deal, right? So one of the things that's going on, for example, is while the Dodgers are willing to wear the new gray pants, they refuse to wear the new white pants. And the, the Padres, for example, at spring training are saying, We'll wear the old white pants that are not transparent, but we won't wear the new ones to the point where guys are literally going and finding old pants either in their closets or equipment guys are finding them. For example, Joe Musgrove, he says he's only going to wear last year's pants and he refuses to wear the new ones. He hopes it's fixed by opening day, he says. Well, I don't think it's going to be fixed by opening day. They're not going to just make like boatloads of new uniforms. I heard, like, one of the problems is the Cubs, like, the blue is off. Like, it's not the right shade of blue. Not the right shade of blue, correct. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Um, there's also one more issue, by the way. Uh, there's not enough uniforms, Mike. That's the other issue going on. According to the Athletic, there are major league teams that are still waiting for more shipments of uniforms and guys are now worried that if they rip or need their uniforms cleaned, they don't have a new one to fill it in. This is a disaster. This is all monetary, by the way, because Fanatics... Um, Fanatics makes the Nike uniforms. Right. And, but all of the sports leagues have a investment into fanatics. Well, licensing agreement. So it's like a double dipping situation that baseball is providing these uniforms and then people are going to buy the uniforms. So this is like a total disaster for them that this like the players. Now, I think it was um I was reading something like some of the players had quotes about how much they love the uniforms. And yeah. the quotes were preposterous. It's yeah. like there's no way that these players, and they're all Nike spokesmen. Well, by that's the way. what Tony Clark's dispute was. He's the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association. He was saying that Major League Baseball pushed out all these positive quotes to try to make yeah, it. Yeah, the like, one was like, oh, they, these pants were so much better. Like, uh, they have like, you know, the numbers have like, uh, in the jerseys, the numbers have like air pockets in them. So there's like so much. And it's like, this guy didn't say this. They just made up a quote and yeah. put this guy's name because he's sponsored by Nike. Yeah, the, the players' union is really not happy right now, to say the least. About Speaking of baseball, Mike, there will be one major league player that you may be used to seeing who will not be playing baseball this year. Yunjin Ryu is no longer in the major leagues, Mike. After 10 seasons, he is returning to Korea to play in the Korean Baseball League. He has signed an eight-year contract. Jeez. So he's up, really done. Worth up to $12.8 million in American dollars with the KBO. So you're telling me that of all the stories that are going on, this one interests you the second most. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, this guy You was give in- me what interests you the second most about this story. Well, I, I don't mean, even know what team Ryu... I don't even remember him pitching the last couple of years. Pitched for the Blue Jays. I'm sorry. I didn't know that... He, oh, he pitched for the Blue Jays, you idiot. You don't remember him pitching for the Blue Jays? I mean, if I did, fine. I, I He pitched for the Blue Jays. Did he do anything compelling that would have made me say, Oh, man, this season's going to be so different because Ryu is gone. I thought he was hurt. That's what that... I, I, I mean... So if whatever TV was on, I thought he missed a lot because he's been hurt. You just don't remember him, obviously. I know who he is. Lefty. Pitch for the Dodgers. Blue Jays. I didn't... I don't have any memorable moments from him pitching in recent past. Well, then let's flip it on the other end. So while Ryu is <laughs> That's going... What I'm so I'm on ESPN.com, and I'm like, okay, did this make the list of stories? And I'm like, no. This did not make the list. So I'm interested in asking you, what is so compelling about this story? Well, what's compelling is, is while Ryu is going to Korea, there's a guy who pitched in Korea for five years who's now on the Phillies. David Buchanan is a non-roster invitee to Phillies spring training camp. That story I saw, he was here like seven years ago. He was. Yeah. He pitched the last five years in Korea and Japan. Um, so Ryu leaves Buchanan comes back. Now, by the way, the Ryu story, no wonder, it happened two days ago. Well, I was going to read it two days ago, but other stories came up. So you're telling me a story from two days ago has entered the biggest three stories of today. Well, no, it's the three stories that I want to talk about. Like, for example, there's a story that I'm really interested in, but half our audience don't give two you-know-whats about But they it. care about Ryu? Well, they might actually know who he is. I didn't know. who I knew who he was, but I remember him from the Dodgers. I don't really remember him pitching with the Blue Jays. I thought he was hurt a lot. You want to talk about how the NCAA lost <laughs> in did, court today? This is, this is highlighting <laughs> the way that Josh thinks and the rest of society thinks. Well, for example, one of my favorite stories today is the fact that the NCAA is getting whacked in the face by judges left and right. You see that story? Uh, no, I'm relying on you to give me the biggest three stories of the day. Apparently... Hunjin Ryu signing two days ago an eight-year deal in the Korean Baseball League made the list. Okay, well, this came out an hour ago. You might not be interested in this story either, but (laughs) the NCAA can no longer enforce NIL rules. Yeah, all the NIL stuff, I don't know what to do with this stuff because it feels like if you go to a judge on one street corner, he's telling you you can. You go to a judge on another block, they're telling you you can't. Somebody needs to be the the adult in the room and be in charge of all of this. You can't do it by state. You can't do it by whatever. You have to have some sort of uniformity because it's different by different states. Well, the problem is, is that one, it was two different state judges, federal judges who have ruled against the NCA now in basically the same case. And part of the decision is, is that the NCAA does not have the power to enforce what they're trying to regulate, according to the courts. Well, once they get some sort of uniformity here, until then, it's going to be a clown show. By the way, Ryu is 44 years old when he's done that deal. Yes. Who's signing that deal? Come on. Korean baseball. Yeah, the the, the, the the NIL stuff, it, to me, is a mess. It's a complete disaster that it's got, like, this whole thing. Now, this would have been a story that I would have brought up. So, EA Sports is offering the college players $600 to be in the game. 
the EA Sports College football game. If you want to be in the game, we'll pay you $600. And there's something else that they're getting for it. I can't remember exactly what it is. I was pretty shocked that you didn't bring this story up to me. I thought this for sure would be right in your wheelhouse. So, Well, I didn't finish reading that story. That's why. So I didn't want to try to get on the radio and talk knowledge of something I didn't finish reading about. Gotcha. All right. Well, well, I have two other stories, so I'm going to let you pick which one you're more interested in. How about that? Well, hold on. Ready? So they offered the – they're offering college players $600 and a game, and, and the game for free, I think. You okay, get a they're, copy. They're free copy of yeah, the game. Yeah, I think you get a copy of the game. That is the offer. So one of the conversations has been like, should these guys um, pull out and basically say, no, we're not going to, because $600 they're saying is not enough, that they deserve more money right. to be for in their the likeness. Yes. They don't have a union, right? No, There's union. nobody that's stepping up for them. Nope. You're not going to get every player in the country on the same page on this. So are you just literally going through every player in the country and saying, do you want 600? But like this is, again, this is the problem with all of this stuff with, with the college sports. All right. So I'm going to let you pick one in the final, for the final story real quick. You're going to pick between these two topics. Ready? Winnipeg could lose the Jets or Eli Manning's Chad Powers is getting a Hulu show. I did hear that. That That's interesting. Um, I didn't hear the Winnipeg story. Okay. Did that happen three days ago or is that today? <laughs> I read the I read the article from the Athletic. I'll pull up the exact time and date for you here. Earlier today, it says. Okay, okay? So that's an actual so story want, that happened. You want today. the Winnipeg story? Well, the, the the power sting. That's funny. I mean, good for him that he's a goofball. So that. But what uh, the Winnipeg thing is interesting. This would be the second time, right? We lost Correct. So what's going on? For those who don't know, is that the Winnipeg Jets left the first time and became the Phoenix Coyotes. Well, right now, the Phoenix Coyotes are the only team with a worse attendance right now than the Winnipeg Jets. And the Winnipeg Jets are a playoff contending team. And they're having trouble selling season packages to the point that Gary Bettman is going to Winnipeg next week to basically evaluate things as they're trying to get more people to buy tickets. And part of the problem is, is that as so for those who don't know. Most season ticket packages are bought by businesses. Businesses will buy these ticket packages and they'll distribute it to people, whether they're their employees or other business partners. That is not happening in Winnipeg. People are not buying these big packages like they do in other areas. Well, it's first off, it's a small place. I mean, there's not even 800,000 people that live in Winnipeg. Nope. But it is Canada. So it's surprising to hear that a playoff level team in Canada is having trouble drawing. That that is shocking to me. Their like, average attendance right now is thirteen thousand three hundred six. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty surprised to hear that. Um, but so much so that they're going to move the team. There is concern now in Winnipeg, according to the Athletic, that if the NHL's board of governors determines that Winnipeg is not able to sustain itself financially, they will have to move the team. Hmm. That would be a shame. I don't I hate to see that, but those stories do interest me. All right. See now we're learning. I'm I'm learning what interests you so I can zero in on those things. I mean Sure. The Ryu story, I, I don't, even if that was today, it happened two days ago, but even if that was today, I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. Ryu. I didn't even know he was still pitching. <laughs> That's not. No. 
Don't put him in the EA Sports game. Uh, no, he's pitching in a, 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 a non... Um, Although I do think MLB The Show allows you to play with teams from other leagues. But... Well, that's today's pick three. I'll be back to wrap up the show. Coming up next. It's for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. He scores! Oh, and Tempest goes far down! Coverage begins at 3 p.m. It's Flyers Hockey, 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, it's happy hour Friday. I need a happy hour Friday. I uh, got some good text today, by the way, uh, on the happy hour Friday. By the way, I like this one. Mike, you remember the Seinfeld episode when George changed all the Yankee uniforms to cotton? Yeah, I mentioned that one the other day when all the Yankees are like, oh, these are so breathable. They're so nice. Didn't work out well. Uh, Adam in Seville said, Mike, you need to try Yards Level Up. It's a tropical IBA. IPA will change your life. Have you ever, ever had a beer that changed your life? Can't say I have, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, Yards, a tropical IPA. I don't know that I've actually heard of a tropical IPA. Um, happy Hour Friday from Jeff. He says, knife and fork for Happy Hour Friday, followed by the Sixers game at the Gallery Bar Book and Games. Wonder what he's gonna, you know what? They got the seed over there. They got a seed beer. The seed made special for, uh. For the gallery. For Ocean. For Ocean. Uh, Shaner earlier said he was enjoying some red wine and Miller Lite. I feel like some of the, uh, text messages today got an early start on the red wine and the Miller Lite. Maybe you too with the, uh, radio. Maybe I did. Maybe it's Korean idea. You and Shaner were uh, having a coat. Do you know Shaner from EHT? I don't. I feel like I could have a drink with him. I do too. Shaner's a good texter. All right, that's it for me. Monday, make sure you're listening. 55 after each hour, you're going to be able to enter for a chance to win a trip to go see the Phillies at Camden Yards in Baltimore. And we're going to do a Phillies watch party for opening day on March 28th against the Braves at Maynard's and Margate. So listen, starting Monday for your chance to enter. Thanks to my guests today, Mike McGarry, Mike Missinelli, Paul Hudrick, Adam Kaplan, and of course, you guys out there. Have a great weekend, everybody.